0: Well, let me tell you something, brother. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. You no good for nothing, egg-sucking dog. Talk to me, warrior. Baby, I'm at a birthday party in the army. Sort of like, welcome to my nightmare. I'm Roddy Piper, and you're not. The best there is! The best there was, and the best there ever will be. With a symbol of excellence, the Four Horsemen. Oh, yeah!
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of our podcast, Living in the 80s. Today, we're going to be doing something completely different, and we're going to be talking all about wrestling in the 80s. So, I was a big wrestling fan in those days, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. As I sat down... uh, When we first started the podcast, I wanted to do an episode on 80s wrestling, and you've got it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and
0: manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So, optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60 day trial now at shipstation.com and use the code POD. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. And action. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Again, please. Again, again.
1: Art thou bored? Yeah. Step into a slim
0: gym. Turn of the spice, That baby juicy taste!
1: You know, excitement. Step into a slum gym! Okay, this is the part of the show that I've been looking forward to probably since I first thought I was going to do a podcast on 80s stuff because I, growing up, I was a huge wrestling fan. And even today, even though I don't watch it quite like I did back in the day, I still keep my eye on it, and I could find myself getting lost for hours on YouTube, seeing old wrestling videos, guys cutting promos and stuff. So when it came time to pick a co-host for this particular show, I went, I went all in. I, I opened the, the checkbook. I wrote the biggest check I possibly could. and uh, and i got i got my guy here uh we're co-workers uh his name's devlin clemens uh and the the cool thing about devlin is he's a wrestler so i've i actually went and saw him wrestle once does not do a bad job at all he's not nothing to be ashamed of his ring name is devlin anderson so maybe you could talk about that a a little bit like i'm going to go ahead and say i see you in person you've got the beard you're not super tall maybe you're like arn anderson's long lost son talk to me uh i'm 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 also left-handed so <laughs> uh
0: yeah so it, in coming up with a wrestling character um i thought that being an anderson would was right up my alley i i fit the bill um short stocky left-handed uh could move um somewhat athletic for a guy my size so I thought Anderson would, would fit the mold, and so uh, I I had a, I had an original ring name that didn't stick. Um, what was that? It was called Spaz. Spaz. It was, it was a complete Taz riff off.
1: <laughs> I was thinking the the guy from um, Revenge of the Nerds. Well, no, that might the the or no. The, I'm bo- sorry, Meatballs.
0: The no, <laughs> the, the the bookers of the promotion I started in were ribbing me. And every every good rib, someone has to get upset or mad about it, or um, it has to be a laugh, and I didn't let them get to me. So I, I kept rolling with the name, and, and I thought, well, I'm just going to evolve this. And uh, the, after three matches, they were like, no, you're going to be – pick another name. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I chose to be Devlin Anderson for my whole career, and, and 17 years later, I'm still Devlin Anderson.
1: Nice. So talk to me, um, being a a wrestler, and I, I consider myself, and, and this is going to go down a rabbit hole a little bit for some of you guys, uh, I, I consider myself what I call a smart fan. So uh, I used to go to see wrestling events live, kind of was always interested in what happened behind the curtain, uh, used to subscribe to wrestling newsletters. Back in the day, so I, I kind of know a little bit how the industry works. So, and and we had this conversation a couple of different times, but one thing that, that I, okay, early on, I realized that wrestling was uh, staged, somewhat choreographed, but it kind of, I don't know, bothered me <laughs> when when people say, "Oh, that's fake." I would say well you try to do it. So what do you what comes to mind when you hear people say well wrestling's fake? I I don't get angry as you know
0: David Schultz got angry at John Stossel but um which was awesome. <laughs> I get uh I get I get offended uh more than anything else because Anybody who goes to the movies and watches like the Avengers, that's fake. None of those guys have superpowers. None of those guys have the ability to pick up a a hammer off the ground and throw it, you know, 500 yards across the way and hit somebody with it. So I always use that analogy to, to people who think wrestling's fake. Wrestling is a show. It is very much a show. It is entertainment to the highest degree. It's theater. It's acting it's physicality, it's, it's athleticism. It's all that wrapped up in one you find, you give me any other sport in the world that has that. Okay. I'll, you'll convince me, but I don't, I don't call wrestling a complete sport because the sport is of course, a, an. A, I call it a predetermined athletic contest. That's I like how, it. I, but it's, It's entertainment. You watch it for the entertainment. It's like a soap opera. It's even that, that's all wrapped up in it too. So um, for someone to call it fake is, is ignorant in my, in my opinion, because they've never actually a either been in a ring and done what we've done and, you know, you know, wrestled with injuries, wrestled sick, wrestled hurt, whatever. Um, But they just, they don't, they don't understand it. It's like, I, I love UFC, but, you know, I don't I don't love it as much as I love wrestling. Sure. It, it it's different. Like some people love baseball way more than football or some people love football more than baseball because they're like, "Oh, well, baseball is boring. Well, baseball is a a thinking man's sport. It's not there's not action all the time. There's moments of stillness in baseball." So, it's to each their own, but to call something fake is like the most offensive thing you can tell a professional wrestler.
1: I could buy that. So, um, looking back at, you know, what you know about the sport, and I'm sure, so, first of all, talk to us about when you first became a wrestling fan. So, I was four years old,
0: and I probably had undiagnosed ADHD um, as a child, because they weren't just handing those diagnoses out like candy back then. So uh, my mom had was a single mother, and she had two kids, and she was working. So she had a hard time reeling me in sometimes. Um, and it was probably late at night. I was probably being myself on a Saturday night, and my mom was like, just find something on TV to watch. And at 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday in 1988, I believe it is, there isn't anything to find on TV. But I happened to be flipping through and there was Saturday night's main event. on it was on NBC. And they did it once a month. And I remember I was, that. And I was just enthralled in what I was watching. Like, these are real people duking it out. There was no UFC. There was no mixed martial arts. But that that was UFC. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that wrestling for the longest time was what the UFC is today for you know my grandparents and maybe your grandparents. That's they, that's what they went to watch for entertainment, like physical encounters between two individuals. Sure. Now it's live and in front of, and I'm like, what is this? What this is? There's tons of people there too, so it's not like an empty arena. There's lighting and there's there's a ton of people in there, and these people are cheering and booing, and there's colors and there's commentary, and it's like it's a sensory overload. So I was hooked from moment one, and I grew up in a very small town in Southern Ohio called Radcliffe, Ohio, that has no street light, and so trying to absorb as much wrestling as possible was really, really hard. So I know growing up, uh, we got like one hour of WWF programming on Saturdays, one hour of NWA slash WCW programming, and Saturday night's main event once a month. That was it. I didn't have cable, so I didn't have an opportunity to watch anything else, so that's what I got for wow. a lot of years
1: nice so my story is a little different um when I, like growing up as a as a child, I knew that wrestling existed I didn't have uh access to watch wrestling uh where we lived, we didn't have cable and um Right about the time we got cable, this is in um, 1980, my brother and his friend Toby were watching uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS. And they would come home and they'd talk about, you know, The Freebirds and the Mongolian Stomper and Dusty Rhodes and Steve-O and Ted DiBiase. And, oh, my gosh, you should have seen the Freebirds. They pile-drive Ted DiBiase and broke his neck. Uh, All this kind of stuff. I just, you know, I didn't pay much attention to them. Until one weekend, we went to my aunt's house in Kentucky, which we would go about once a year or so. And while we were there, it came on. So my brother Chuck says, hey, wrestling's on. You should watch this. And being at Aunt Louisa's house, there wasn't a ton to do. She lived in this old holler. There was just nothing to do. So okay, I sit down. and I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm I got pulled in, and it was uh, it was really really cool for me, uh, just seeing the guys out there, um, getting uh, seeing the interviews, the characters, the the flash, the all of that. And if you think about Georgia Championship Wrestling back then small TV t- studio. Gordon Soly was the host. And, uh, my, my favorite, my favorite guy right away out of the gate was Tommy Wildfire Rich. That guy, he just, just good old boy. And, you know, he was the underdog a lot and, and just, he had a way of, of just bringing the crowd in and, uh, just kind of, you know, he was, he was the, he was the baby face. He was the the good guy back at the time. And uh, you know, one of his bi- one of the big guys he was going against was a mass superstar, and those guys were feuding. And then he was feuding with Buzz Sawyer, and the Freebirds broke up. And Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes were feuding against against each other. Terry Gordy brings this guy in as a tag team partner was Jimmy Superfly Snuka. That guy was amazing, and just get about this time, like me and my friend David start getting into it. And so we're going to the Ohio Center, which is now the convention center downtown in Columbus, and uh, we would go to see the matches there and seeing guys like Jimmy Snook and Kevin Von Erich live and seeing Tommy Rich and Ric Flair and these guys. Uh, that was awesome to me. So then I start reading these wrestling magazines. We call them the after mags. Uh, Bill Apter was the the chief editor of about five different wrestling magazines, like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Wrestler Weekly, like all of these kind of magazines. I would get every single one I could and just reading and seeing these guys in other territories. And, again, to this point, I've only seen Georgia Championship Wrestling. So about a year into being a wrestling fan, uh, the WWF started broadcasting And my my timeline could be a little screwed up. So kind of bear with me, but, uh, seeing, uh, the WWF was broadcasting on the USA network. And so we were getting to see those like on Sunday, Sunday afternoons. And then Jerry Lawler's promotion from the mid South. Um, he was, uh, he was like at noon on Saturdays on one of the sub channels on, on our cable system. So I'm seeing some of these guys, And then, you know, back then there were no, uh, there were no fan, uh, everything was just fan based. It was not uh, like the wrestling newsletters and stuff. You didn't see any of that stuff. So like when a guy came new to the territory, you'd only seen in a magazine. That was awesome. So that's the history of me being a wrestling fan. Uh, From there, I I continued to watch the sport uh, for probably 20 years after that. Uh, About the time uh, WCW was purchased by Vince McMahon, I held on a little bit longer and then just ended up losing interest. The whole invasion angle, they screwed up. It lost me, and I kind of, you know, I'll glance at it once in a while. If I hear some old guys are going to be showing up, I might watch, watch Raw or something like that. But that's about it for me that way. So got two guys here. One of them's lived the life. The other one's watched the life for his whole life. <laughs> and well, so, I lived
0: in I lived in Waswell. I like. I was a fan before I became a wrestler. I was a, I've, Technically, I've been a wrestling – I'm still a fan, so technically I've been a wrestling fan for 30, 34, 30, 37, 36 years. No, no, 30, 33
1: years, something like that. Wow. So we watched a lot of matches. I know we'll talk a lot about it. You'll see. – you'll watch a lot of videos, a lot of old stuff. So even though you didn't start watching until the later years – I'll ask you about different things and you will already know about it. Like, Hey, did you know that, you know, Dusty Rhodes did this or whatever? And you'll go, Oh yeah. And you and then you'll go down a path that I didn't even know about. It's like, wow, this is great. So uh, it, it's good to be here with you today and have this conversation. Well, thank you, Rob, for having me on. I appreciate it. I always love
0: r- talking wrestling. I can talk wrestling twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I wish I could do that for a living and make good money, but unfortunately, there isn't good money in talking about wrestling unless you're getting sponsored and uh, you got a million followers on on your podcast or whatever. So,
1: yeah, I don't. I've about sixty five.
0: There you go. There you go. So, that's um, city, right.
1: Yes, yeah, right. We're we're growing. We're growing. Um, so, uh, what we're gonna do here. Uh, the people have spoken, and we're going to go through this list. This list is going to be um, what uh, the people that that are members of our Living in the 80s community Facebook page. I just put the question out there, who is your favorite wrestler of the 80s? We got lots of feedback. And so we're going to do the entire list, spend not a lot of time on some, maybe some more time on others, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. So we started start at the bottom bottom of the list, and this is one that you recommended. It was Nick Bockwinkle. Mm-hmm. So why did you put Nick Bockwinkle on here? And tell me about um, – what, what do you think?
0: So I put Bockwinkle on there because I didn't see a representation of the AWA, and I feel like the AWA sometimes uh, is the, the, the redhead stepchild of – uh, wrestling in the 80s um, you know we had uh, it was the quote-unquote ECW of its time and at one point in time it wasn't because it was it was huge in in Minnesota right um, but I love Nick Bockwinkle's work I love mm-hmm. I love Nick Bockwinkle's interviews I love and I feel like he was also a big staple in the 80s if we're talking about the 80s we have to talk about three people on the top of their game in the top three promotions in, in the country. We got to talk about Hogan. We got to talk about Flair and we got to talk about Nick Bockwinkel. Agreed. And I think that each of them bring different things and styles to the ring. And I think that, like I said, I think Bockwinkel gets looked over sometimes because of how really over Hogan was in the eighties and how really over, that Ric Flair was in Minnesota and, and the AWA was still kind of stuck in Minnesota, the, the West territories, Midwest, they weren't really expanding as much, but Bach Winkle was still probably one of the top heels in
1: quote unquote, the territorial system, which still existed in that time. Right. Um, yeah, I remember back then, uh, It was the AWA, the NWA, the WWF. Well, the NWA or, you know, our version of it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was broadcast all across the country and across the world on the Superstation. So they had that going for them. The WWF, very big on the East Coast. Um, Vince McMahon had the company just really starting to gain some momentum from the early to the mid 80s. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, the AWA did not have that national TV exposure.
0: Well, they did. They did for a portion of it with ESPN. They when ESPN was first starting, they they used AWA as a platform. So,
1: but wasn't it like two in the morning to catch it or something? It wasn't like like, honestly,
0: honestly from from what I read, that that got really high ratings on ESPN in its infancy and kind of almost made. It's kind of like how Ted Turner says that wrestling made TBS for him. Right. And that's why he always went to it. He, sticked, he stuck with it and put so much money into it. Mm-hmm. ESPN was – AWO is the same way for ESPN. Now, like I said, ESPN was a startup company and didn't have a lot of programming as they do now. I mean, it's the largest sports channel. Oh, now. yeah. So that that was kind of like the catalyst for what they could do. Sure. Um, and and if you go back and watch some of the shows, man, there they look like little independent run shows in a casino in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, kinda like ECW looked in the uh in the nineties. Right. So yeah. So yeah, I my my memories of Bachwinkle um were mainly from the wrestling magazines. I caught a few matches here and there because I did watch it on ESPN some. Um He didn't I mean Again, I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. I saw nothing flashy out of Nick Bockwinkel, so I didn't really care about him. Like he didn't have the entrance or the, you know, the interviews that that Ric Flair had. Um, who was his manager back then? Um, it's escaping me. Well, Heenan was his manager for yeah. a while. Bobby Heenan, yes. And uh, this is before Heenan, would, of course had had gone to the WWF. But uh, th- there's just nothing about Bockwinkel that. Did anything again he, to me? He's like Harley Race. I just big guy, you know, not the best physical specimen. So, to me, at that age, you know, he gets ignored, but uh, not to take away from their work and their mark on the sport at all. It's just, uh, you know, no, I,
0: I and and I think we're, I mean, we're gonna have difference of views on, on wrestlers, um, but uh, Bach Winkle for me was. He was a he was a working man's wrestler, and uh, a lot of his matches. Not a common man, not a common man, but he was a working man's wrestler. So, he a lot of his matches was just a lot of him just bumping around and getting beat up, and and then end up getting the dirty win. So that I always appreciated how how Bachwinkle from watching the stuff because he he was way before my time when I got into the wrestling business. So watching some of his old stuff, I really appreciated his his work in making others look good in the ring. So,
1: Which, uh, again, looking at a lot of wrestlers, there were, um, uh, not only can you, you have to perform well, but you got to make the other guy look good too. And so when I look at guys like Jerry Lawler, like Uh they've said about him, like he can make a mop look like they're putting on a good match. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said about the guy on the other end that, know maybe taking the bumps and so forth. So yeah. All right, next guy on the list, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. What are your thoughts on him,
0: <sighs> Jimmy? Jimmy Snuka is someone kind of I, grav, I gravitated towards as a kid. Um, he, he just <laughs> when, he looked really old when <laughs> he looked like a really tanned old man. Right. When I saw him. But he had this mystique about him. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't talk much. He didn't, you know, and, and when he would look at a camera, he had like these dagger eyes. Yeah. That he was, and, and you knew he was from Fiji. So you're like, this guy might really be able to rip somebody's head off. And then he would do things that no one else was doing. He was an innovator of, of high-flying moves, like the faster-paced work. Um And then if he hit, if he got a chance to hit that splash, man, he would just soar with that splash. And it just, it had so much impact. It looked just like it hurt somebody, killed somebody. Um, But but I always gravitated towards him kind of as a kid. So like I would do like super fly splashes off the high dive.
1: Who didn't? Everybody, everybody. everybody, Here, watch me. I'm super fly. And then like you get no air at all, but you still fell. Where someone would be like, who? (laughs)
0: Why are you doing this? Why are you yes. doing this?
1: Dude, what is that? What is that? So yeah, like my like my first impression I, th- I mentioned earlier was him coming onto Georgia Championship Wrestling, being Terry Gordy's partner in his feud with Michael Hayes, and again, like you, like you were gravitated toward him towards him. Like I don't remember him saying anything; he just stood there and just had that look. And uh, uh, again, one of the best performers I think I've seen. And then uh, I remember him like. Shortly after that, he made his run in the WWF. I remember a match between him and Bob Backlund. He was in a cage. Superfly comes off the top and misses. Uh, it was it was planned, and uh, he just I mean he did it so gracefully. It's just watching the guy work was was really really cool. So, so you yeah, to super contrast of styles right there. Backlund and
0: and and Superfly. Backlund's a little bit more technical and. Superfly is a little bit more faster pace and chops and flying drop kicks, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah I've seen that match. It's a, it's, it's different to watch, but they do, they do good work.
1: They do. They do. Which, which says a lot about Bob Backlund. Um, he's maybe a little underrated, but we'll talk about him here in a little bit. Next on the list. Wahoo McDaniel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's oh. laughing.
1: He's covering sorry, his face I, and laughing. You guys can't see that.
0: <laughs> sorry, I I immediately thought of a a, a Rick Flair story, but I can't tell it on your podcast. I have that thing. It's funny though cuz every time I hear the name Wahoo McDaniel, I don't think of anything else but this story that that Flair said, so I think Flair said it in his book, and I it makes me laugh every time.
1: So it's so it's not G-rated.
0: It is not G-rated.
1: Oh darn. It's not <laughs> G-rated. So mate, you have to tell me you have to tell me another time
0: then. I I will tell you off air, off of recording.
1: Yes, absolutely. So um I, I never really cared for Wahoo. I only watched him wrestle a couple times. I mean I just saw some fat out of shape Buddy Hackett looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just what I saw. And like, there's nothing. Buddy Hackett. Doesn't he look like Buddy Hackett? I know, that's why I'm <laughs> laughing so hard. You never saw that before? not till just now <laughs> now you'll never be able to unsee it <laughs> but uh you know he was he was a fan favorite he had lots of uh lots of support there Rest- i remember him wrestling a lot in the mid-atlantic and back in those guys those days guys were up and down the coast a lot they go from florida to to atlanta to charlotte and back again and those guys were all over the south down there um Again, I can't tell you much about his wrestling, but, you know, somebody did suggest it, and, you know, we figured we'd bring it up. Well, if I have some things to say about Wahoo,
0: it's I've watched some of his stuff. Um, and th- there 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 isn't anything special about Wahoo McDaniel other than the fact that, per a lot of the old-time wrestlers, he was one of the toughest human beings on the planet. Really? Um, and, you know, he did play football for the New York Jets.
1: I didn't um, know that.
0: So he went from being a pro football player to being a professional wrestler, and um, you know, Ric Flair's chops are all because of Wahoo McDaniel showing him how to throw chops. Really? Yeah, yeah. So the Wahoo and Rick were were really big friends, and that was kind of Rick's one of Rick's mentors in the business. Mm-hmm. I do. I think he credits like Harley Race and and Wahoo for kind of taking him under his wing. So yeah, Wahoo wasn't nothing special as far as. Um, you know, in-ring work. He was very tough, but he was he was almost like a like a turtle. Sometimes he would just move kind of slow at his own pace, and kind of look like a turtle. Yeah. So uh, you know, I respect his his in-ring work. I respect anybody that gets in the in the ring, and is and especially the people who paved the way before me to be able to do it. Um, but I, I'm, I've not ever really been someone to to go to gravitate towards Wahoo McDaniel.
1: Moving on tag team so we'll we'll take it because people voted for british bulldogs i know as a young kid you probably marked out when the bulldogs came out i marked out more for matilda i (laughs) think i I did too um but you're watching those two guys uh not being a fan of the wwf so much like again going back to when i'm first watching wrestling um I was watching some of the WWF. It seemed very lifeless to me, very eh. Here we go. But then they they hit their cartoon character stride. They went from kind of boring and bland to you know let's sell T-shirts and lunch boxes and Saturday morning cartoons. So when I saw the British Bulldogs, I thought, well, hey, I like these guys because they they were wrestlers and they you know had a little bit of of color to them. And just watching these guys in the ring, they, they knew what they were doing. I think I liked the dynamite kid a little bit better. It seemed a little more athletic where Davy boy seemed a little, you know, more, you know, more bulky, but, but still could get around pretty well. What are your, what are your thoughts on those guys? Um, so
0: when I first saw those guys, uh, one looked like a smaller version of the other. So mm-hmm. like dynamite was really, you know, low to the ground. But he had this—he had this way of like making things look really, really snug. And mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the term "snug" mm-hmm. as a child. And now, when I go back and I watch anything, Dynamite Kid or Davy Boy Smith, um, I—I just—he I mean, was really rough with people in the ring. Um, I don't—I don't, I don't want to say dangerous. Because that that is a term that's thrown around Mm -hmm. um, with guys who are very snug with people or um, try to execute moves a little harder than most. Like Um, a Bret Hart kind of thing. Well, Bret wasn't snug. I don't think Bret was snug. I think Bret was a little... But I was going to talk about, like, Mick Foley's first match in the WWF Mm -hmm. when he was a, a job guy. And Dynamite hit him with a clothesline, and he basically almost broke his jaw. Like, Mick couldn't, like... Uh, open his mouth for a couple of days. Wow. Um, but that, that is the testament to how Dynamite Kid operated in the ring now. I also understand that his reputation outside of the ring isn't the most, well, wasn't, excuse me, because he's passed away, wasn't the most grand either. But I, I always liked their work. I always thought they were very solid. I just don't think they're, Dynamite, I don't think they had the personality as much as Davy boy did. And it showed in latter years when, when Davey boy got more of a push from Vince when he came back. Um, I just don't think there was enough for, for a personality for him to, for dynamite to be uh, valued by Vince to have that kind of singles run.
1: Yeah. I think if they would have had maybe like a cruiserweight division type thing him working with some guys, you know, more, his size might've, uh, he might have found it well. I mean, an if anybody,
0: anybody listening wants to go watch some really good matches, go watch Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask. I mean, mm. those, that stuff in Japan that they did is five stars all around the board. I mean, it is some of the best wrestling you ever. Been. Nice.
1: Um, next, the great Kabuki. Um, I remember him back in the, the Georgia championship wrestling um Early WCW days, uh, managed by Gary Hart. Very good wrestler. Always would spray the green mist, and just never spoke. Of course, he's J- Japanese. probably didn't speak a word of English, but um I remember him being a good wrestler. Uh, and not not much beyond that. I mean, again, I enjoyed his matches. He was he was a good worker. But what do you think? I think the Great Kabuki is one of the most ripped off wrestlers of all time. I
0: mm-hmm. think it- Muda took from the great Mudas. I'm referring to took from him with the fix. oh, absolutely green mist. Uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri took from the Kabuki. I, I think he was a he was an innovator in that way. I think his ring ring work was solid, um, but I never dis- I didn't discover him until um, later years. And it was actually uh, WCCW World Class Championship Wrestling um, in oh, yeah. Texas. That's von like Eric's right. Yeah, the Von Erics, yeah, uh, but he was being managed by Gary Hart down there, too. So um, I, I, that's when I discovered him, but that was later on when I could actually find footage of uh, world-class and watch some older stuff that I'd never seen before. Sergeant Slaughter. Go. Oh, okay, um, so <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter for me is, he, he's, a, he's kind of an 80s icon. I mean, you you think about wrestling, number one, um, and you think about G.I. Joe. You think about the crossover that he had yep. uh, with G.I. Joe. Um, he had to so- go
1: from being a heel to a face because of the you know, the cartoon. You can't have a bad guy and sell lunchboxes. Right. So um,
0: I know that he'd wrestled for a long time, but when I discovered him in the WWF, he had come back. And it was in 91, I believe we're getting out of the 80s, but it's when he became an Iraqi sympathizer.
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that.
0: The Iron Sheik. Huge, huge heat back then. But um, uh, if you go back and you look at some of those boot camp matches that you had with like Pat Patterson and uh, the Iron Sheik, man, those are some hard-hitting, bloody matches. I mean – I it surprised me. I love Slaughter's work. Mm-hmm. I think it does a great job. Um as as a baby because then it, it's not hard to come out there and get those USA chants when you're, you know, uh doing the marine gimmick and man, I, I, I really dig slaughter and I dig his heel work too. Now that you know I'm I'm a wrestler as a kid, God. I mean I hated every fiber of my being being hated to Slaughter. Dude.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember Hank, he was wrestling in the Mid-Atlantic when I first started. I first became a wrestling fan. Again, I'd read about him in the wrestling magazines and so forth, but then saw him in the WWF. And uh, he was a big guy. I remember that. He was bigger than most. And uh, he seemed uh, to really take some good shots, you know, at everything you said was uh, was right on. So, Bob Backlund. Mentioned him earlier. Um, Again... Another WWF guy. He just—he was a champ for a long time. Carried the company, and again, he's another one of the the byproduct of boring old WWF that I just ugh. Here it is. I do remember one time they did a cross promotional thing where Flair and Backlund had a match. Yes, and I think it did it end in a draw. Yeah, it it always ended in a draw. Yeah, you're never gonna let your champ lose. But uh, I remember them building that up on uh, on the superstation, and there's Gordon solely there, and both guys are there at the podium, and Ric Flair did everything he could to try to pull anything out of Backlund that looked like charisma or something. And Backlund always had he always looked like howdy doody, but he had that really super deep voice. I'm looking forward to a really good match, and Flair's just like. He's just sitting there, just kind of waiting for anything, any any opening to get in there and just kind of stir up some heat. And it just never really happened. But but he was a good wrestler. I do remember that. Uh, I think he was a he was a good amateur wrestler, which yeah. carried over to uh, his professional thing there. And that's all I got on Backlund. What you got? Um, I I think Backlund's second run in WWF
0: in the mid '90s was better. Mm-hmm. Um, because they gave him a gimmick. They gave him like a crazy gimmick. Um. I don't think because I think Backlund was, was Vince, Vince McMahon Jr.'s uh, his father, Vince McMahon Sr. I think that was his last champion before he sold the company to his son. Um, I don't think that Backlund was what Vince Jr. was looking for. Mm-hmm. And because he doesn't have the mic skills and, and the vision of where Vince wanted him to go, Mm -hmm. I think that's Backlund's downfall. Not saying Backlund isn't a great wrestler. Sure. But he's not somebody that I've ever been like, okay, I want to sit down and watch some Bob Backlund matches. Right. He's probably more off, like, lower down the list than Wahoo is. um, Just because Wahoo at least had those mic skills. Mm -hmm. And because back in – the eighties and the seventies and eighties, it was territory system. So everybody had TV on local stations. So you had to draw fans into the arena. Same thing in the Northeast with WWF because they were primarily Northeast. Anything above the Mason Dixon line was theirs, Maryland and up. So they had to draw people in.
1: And I don't mm-hmm. think
0: Backlund had <laughs> I boggles my mind, he had a belt for four years. Yeah. But he, I don't think he had that notion to
1: draw people in like that. No, no. Um, the next one, Andre the freaking giant. Now, this guy, again, if you're talking about just strictly notoriety, like the people that never knew wrestling knew Andre the giant. Um, i I do remember him back in the Georgia days. he was Michael Hayes' tag team partner against Gordy and Snuka. and uh, just I mean he was so huge and large, not athletic, but he didn't need to be because he was a freaking giant um, you know, lots of stories about his uh, his uh out-of- the ring exploits things <laughs> was, like that uh, but uh, I, got, it, I
0: got like 70 on the giant stories yeah, none of which I can tell.
1: Yeah, did you ever meet him? I never met him. Okay, he died in 90, 93. Wow, was it really? I, I to me, it, it would have been two thousand in my mind. Just, just again, you lose track of time. Time flies. The older you get, but um, again, Andre, he seemed pretty. You know, he came across mostly as lovable up until his very last run as a heel against Hogan. But, uh, you know, all the kids loved him. Um, what you got? Um, so in 1988, he was working for
0: Vince, and that's when I got into wrestling. And it was the the Hogan Andre feud, the infamous double referee mm-hmm. with Dave and Earl Hebner. Right, right. And I remember seeing this guy for the first time, and I'd never seen anybody that huge in my life. Like, never seen, any, never seen a giant. Never seen anybody seven feet five inches tall. Never, never seen anything like he walked out and. He was just huge, and, like, there was an aura about the man. Like, I didn't meet him. I didn't know him personally, but I could tell there was an aura about this guy because people were quiet when he would walk out. Like, they were just, like, in awe of this man. Like, and to see him wrestle, he wasn't nothing special. No. But he was, like, like Vince would say, he was an attraction. You know, you – you bring him out and you and you show him every once in a while. That's what how he made his living, going from territory to territory as an attraction. They'd put him on the bill and people would show up. He didn't have to. He didn't have to cut promos. He would just be put on the bill and they would they would flock to see him because he's seven foot four and five hundred pounds. Yep. Where are you going to see that again in in Muskogee, Oklahoma? I mean, where, <laughs> where are you gonna where are you gonna see that type of thing? So I love Andre because of all the, the, the stuff that he went through as far as the pain he was in when he was wrestling and, and, and going out there and performing in pain. Uh, I love hearing Andre's stories. They are the, they are the some of the best and most infamous stories in the wrestling business. And they're all true. Like Andre got in a bar fight one time and I can tell this story because it's not vulgar or anything. Um, and the guys were in the bar and they were, they were heckling him and he was trying to be on his behavior and finally, they got under his skin enough, and he got up and they ran and they ran out into their car and on, they got in their car and Andre tipped the car over
1: because <laughs> <laughs> he could,
0: because he could. Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah, man, that's uh, that's great. That's great. So yeah, uh, no, I, I
0: love Andre. I, I I think that he did a lot for, uh, especially Hogan's career. Um, yeah, even Hogan the uh the 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 good pass there at WrestleMania three. Yeah, pass the torch. Doing the doing the right thing when he didn't have to, right? Um, but uh, you know, and I have a lot of respect for for for, for what he did there. He Good. he did the
1: right thing. Good, Princess Bride, seen Andre? Yeah, I
0: mean, it, it, Prince, I actually here here's a funny story about me. So I had to wrestle a guy. I'm five foot eight, so I'm a pretty small guy. So I had to wrestle a guy that was probably like six eight or six nine, something like that. And I said, "We're gonna go out there and we're gonna do the Princess Bride spot." The whole scene, just that scene, and that's how we're going to do the match. So he did the whole, like, swing and miss, and I ducked and swing and miss, and I jumped on his back and put him in a sleeper. And the whole time, he's ramming me into the turnbuckle, and then finally he just fell asleep.
1: (laughs) Nice. That's good stuff. I did the whole Princess Bride spot. What if anybody caught on to it in the audience?
0: No, but all the boys in the back did. I told them what we were going to do, and they were like, oh, okay, whatever. And I went out there and we did it. It was only, like, Four or five minutes of a match, but it was funny.
1: <laughs> cool. All right, the next one. This is, uh, this one just makes me shake my head. The Bushwhackers. Now, I remember the Bushwhackers before they went to Vince's cartoon land as the Kiwi Sheep Herders. And they were some one of the best heel tag teams ever. Like you would see their matches. There was never a match where they weren't covered in blood. Uh, fighting up in the aisles with chairs like them and the moon dogs were just like, like to me, like that, that is the gritty kind of wrestling that, that I was loving back then. Mm-hmm. And then I see them show up in the WWF and I see them coming down with that stupid March and the, the stupid cartoon character stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's doing it in the, in the camera here. You guys can't see that. Uh I, it drove me nuts seeing these guys that I just revered become Vince's latest project to sell launch boxes. And, and, and let me, let me come, go back here a little bit. Vince McMahon is a genius. The guy knew how to build these characters, him and the team around him knew how to make money, like very, very smart. And I think if, if you're asking him strictly on, you know, the, the silliness and the craziness, like, you know, I think of the Bushwhackers and Coco Beware and some of these guys it just just drove me nuts. Um, I think even if you asked him, like he yeah, has a little hooking over the top, but it paid for my Maserati or whatever. So, uh, again, they were great wrestlers. They just, you know, they're known as the Bushwhackers now.
0: See, I'm in the reverse boat that you're in. So okay. I knew them as the Bushwhackers, and I didn't know that they, anything they did other than that it didn't exist until later on in my life. And I got to go watch some Sheep Herder stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am like, I understand why Vince didn't pull the trigger on this one. Oh, yeah. but I And I understand why he did what he did with them, because it was probably more of a, someone wanted to sign them. And Vince looked at him and was like, well, what can I do with them? And then he made them the Bushwhackers. And then that strut, as much as you hate that strut, that strut made money. That yeah. It was over like Rover. And when they their music hit, people were standing up and they were doing the strut. They were doing the arms up and down. You hear the music. Um, and they made money. They made Vince a lot of money. I mean, they sold T-shirts and hats. And, you know, they were one of the most over things on the card. They never held a belt, like – I mean, it, it's great marketing, great, great. Oh, business. it is. But but the Bushwhackers gimmick is hot garbage to me just because they, they were a comedy act. But wrestling needs
1: that. Yeah.
0: But the Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch, are phenomenal. They're, they are phenomenal. I don't want to say wrestlers. I want to say they're phenomenal brawlers. Yeah. They're phenomenal as a team that can get heat um, but I'm not going to go out of my way to say that like, they are just someone, if someone if I was telling someone to go watch matches to like better their skills, mm-hmm. don't go watch sheep herders matches. If you want to <laughs> learn how to drop one fight in a crowd, do that.
1: So, you know what, what, like looking at that kind of stuff from back then, I would love to, to, to get like, it, I, it's impossible to get all of these guys in their prime. Like the sheep herders along with cactus Jack and the Sandman and Tommy dreamer. Like if if it was possible to get all these guys in their prime to just duke it out and just say, guys, everything, but the kitchen sink, that would be wrestling heaven for me. (laughs) So I love that stuff. All right, next we're into the top 10 now. Okay. And just cracking the top 10, the total package, Lex Luger. I know you're not a Luger fan, um,
0: I mean, I can say good things about Luger. Go. I can. I mean, I can say good. You things say good
1: or bad. bad? Tell me yeah. your thoughts.
0: Um, so I was never a Lex Luger fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. I've had an, an an apt ability to be able to tell good wrestlers from bad wrestlers, even mm-hmm. as a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought Luger had the some of the best physical shape. He was in the best physical some of the best physical shape anybody should be in wrestling. If you're going to build a wrestler, they should probably look like Lex Luger. If you're gonna build a babyface wrestler, they should probably look like him because he was he was big, but he was also lean. He he looked the part. I have problems with Lex Luger for a couple of reasons. One, he never sold any differently in the ring. Like he never sold the move. And so for people who are listening, don't know about wrestling, selling is when you take a move and you you let that exude from your face, facial expressions are how you, like if you were hurt, you were selling the move. Right. Luger never really got away from the same type of selling. Mm-hmm. Um, his promos were a little the same
1: every time. And they were kind of hit and miss, yeah.
0: And he always did this. He always stuck his thumb and his index finger out yeah. and pointed to the camera. And yes. he'd always say something about him being like, the wrestler of the eighties or the wrestler of the nineties or something like that in his promo. It always kind of fit in there somehow. Yeah. It's not like he kept recycling the same, the same promo over and over again. Now Lex made a lot of money in this business. Mm -hmm. So I can't fault a guy for making a lot of money in this business and being, being christened a top guy, Mm -hmm. but it also helps when you have people like Ric Flair and sting that are back in your place saying, Hey, we, we can make a lot of money with this guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it helps because to me, if Luger didn't have that physique, he would be a mid card guy or a job guy.
1: <laughs> if that, <laughs> if that, uh again, watching back then, like when I very first started watching uh, he had, he was just, well, not let me take that back. When I was first exposed to him, um, he was brought in, uh, to be a member of the Four Horsemen, right? So you you know you're putting him up there with you know Tully and Arn and Ric Flair and and Oli Anderson and these guys, and uh, like you said, like I could tell back then he wasn't a good wrestler. Um, I I kind of liked his his promos, um, just because it, it, he he would come across as super intense sometimes. Uh, I I do agree, like and Prepping for the show, I went back and was just looking at some of the guys and and uh, you because know, because your memory may not sync up with facts. So I'm going back and, and watching some matches and promos of these guys and going, yeah, he, he was not really a good wrestler, and and his his mic skills back then I thought were better. Now it's like, well, yeah, he did kind of say the same thing a lot because when you can see interviews back to back to back to back to back. Versus, you know, seeing the guy once a week um, doing stuff—it's a little different. But like you said, he was fortunate to be in an era and in a company where he could have flair, he could have sting, he could have Barry Wyndham, Arn Anderson, these guys all around him, kind of selling his stuff. You're right; he was a no sell. Like he, uh, he could he could have done a lot more with that career. And again, he's a former NFL football player. So the, the guy was athletic, but so limited by what he was, was doing in the ring at the time. So uh, again, I was a Lex Luger fan, um, but uh, you know, he's uh, uh he he'll always have a fond place in my memory and seeing him now though, um, interviews and things I've seen with him, he looks terrible. He looks like yeah, he's he, 95.
0: He's gotten, gotten some, some, some problem with his spine and ended up in a wheelchair. So,
1: yeah. Is he still, I thought he, didn't he get out of the wheelchair and he's able to like walk on.
0: I'm not sure. Or something? recently, I know that he, he's like an advisor or he works with the WWF is great okay. as, as far as their nutrition. He's like a, a nutrition consultant oh, or something good. like that. So he helps with like diet plans and stuff for wrestlers.
1: Okay. That's kind cool.
0: No know we still, I, I, thought, I thought, as last I heard, that's what he was doing with them.
1: Okay. that That is one thing I will give it to Vince, too. Um, you hear a lot of times about what an unscrupulous businessman he is and how he'll screw you over or whatever. But there are a lot of guys on his payroll that have jobs that, you know, he could probably hire other people for. But he kind of stays, seems like he's kind of stayed loyal to a lot of the boys, the ones that, you know, kind of.
0: Well, Luger, I don't think Luger would have been the first person in my mind since he kind of. Oh sure. yeah.
1: Uh, showing um, up showing up at Nitro and yeah. doing the whole thing. Yes.
0: I mean, yeah. but but right we got Bret Hart back in the WWE, so
1: Yeah. Oh, this is the eighties. We don't say WWE around here. It's WWF buddy.
0: Well, I say WWE I say WWF when I'm talking about the eighties, and I say WWE when I'm talking about two thousand
1: <laughs> Nice. Um so yeah, uh just I, I I'm kinda you know, kind of sad to see him in the state he's in. I'm, I didn't know that about him working with uh, with the WWE there. But uh, that that's that's really good, good for him. Um, number nine on our list, Tommy Wildfire Rich. Um, I think there are enough people that watched Georgia Championship Wrestling back then. They knew of Tommy Rich in his prime and his height of his popularity. He had a one-week run as the NWA champion. Um, that's what they remember. They didn't see, like, when he left Georgia, the raging, alcoholic, crazy, madman, whatever he was. But uh, I used to like his in-ring, his in-ring, in-ring work. Uh, what, what I was not I, – I remember just before he left the Georgia territory, he his finisher was the Luthez Press, which is one of the stupid finishers of all time. I mean, maybe during a match you pull you pull that out and you do something. But I'm watching that going, really? Couldn't have come up with anything better than that. But anyhow, talk about Tommy Rich.
0: So uh I was introduced to Tommy Rich later in life. Um mm-hmm. so I first found Tommy Rich in ECW. Okay. Prime. Talking yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so um, he was the manager slash lackey slash bump guy for the the FBI, the full blooded Italians. And he oh wow! <laughs> and um, he was the big Don. That's what they were calling him, the big Don. He was like the head of the family, quote unquote. Um, and it was you know it was an inside joke because he's from Tennessee. Tracy Smothers is from Tennessee, and Little Guido is really the only Italian one in the whole group. So full blooded Italians, <laughs> right? Full blooded Italians. So. Um, that's where I discovered Tommy Rich. Now I didn't know how over he was in Georgia then, mm-hmm. but um, I got turned on to Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And oh, I love that I got Rich's feud in Georgia um, because uh, Tracy Smothers of all people. Uh, I wrestled him in Chillicothe, Ohio, and Tracy said that I reminded him of Buzz Sawyer.
1: I told you that once. I told you you just need to start, you know, doing getting, getting on Facebook and cutting Buzz Sawyer type promos. You're like, no, I got to be myself, but a different <laughs> version of myself. Like, whatever, man. You can be Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't. I didn't know how to take that from Tracy Smothers
0: as a compliment or as like something. I knew Buzz, I knew of Buzz Sawyer, but I'd not seen a lot of his content or his in ring work. So I went and watched a bunch of Buzz Sawyer stuff, and they had someone had the entire Buzz Sawyer, Tommy Rich feud on there. And it is probably one of the best feuds, best sets of matches that you'll ever find. Number one, because Buzz Sawyer was the craziest bumping, craziest looking, talking dude. Oh my in goodness, the yes. And Tommy Rich is this skinny white meat baby face that is over like Rover in, in Georgia at that time. So right. there's a lot of good stuff there. So if anyone interested, watch some of that stuff. I mean, it is phenomenal. Yeah. So I respect Tommy rich more because I went back and watched that. Cause when I first was introduced, I'm like, who is this blonde haired old fat man that has the most raspiest voice on the planet? Like,
1: how does this guy have a job? Now you know why. I
0: actually, I actually got to meet Tommy Rich one time. Really? Yes. Uh, I did a wrestling show very early in my career, and he was wrestling a guy here in Columbus named Tom Miller. Um, well, I don't know if he was in Columbus, but the, the, the guy was from Columbus. His name's Tom. He's the guy who trained at the training school here in Columbus that I, I attended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't even in the business at the time, and Tommy and, and Tom Miller went out and had this match. And uh, Tommy had bladed himself, and he was wearing a white singlet. And when he came to the back, the whole singlet was red. Now, I mean, head to toe, Tommy Rich is just—I mean—covered in. And look, it looked like the scene in Carrie. That's how much blood was on him. Wow! And <laughs> someone was like, "Tommy, how'd you get so much color?" And he's like, "Hi, blood pressure, brother."
1: That's funny. Yeah, going back to Buzz Sawyer he would be uh, one of my, my favorite eighties wrestlers. Like at the time, you know, I'm cheering hardcore for Tommy Rich, you know, loving the, the, the good guys, hating the bad guys. And, and, but even back then when the camera was on Sawyer doing his promos, he was off the hook. He, he would get in this thing. He would start foaming at the mouth and just start acting like a madman and just, the in-ring work was great. He really, I mean, those two—that uh, the last battle of Atlanta, uh, if you can, there's there's some video out there of that. There was a uh, that was some that was some good stuff. I really, gosh, a Buzz Sawyer was w- was great. So uh, again, it's sort of like Batman and the Joker. You can't talk about Tommy Ridge without bringing up Buzz Sawyer. So nope, not at all. That's the, that's the thing that made him. Other than winning the nwa title i mean
0: i i consider the buzz sawyer feud more so than that
1: yep okay next number eight the american dream dusty roads love dusty
0: oh we have a time on your podcast to talk about how much uh, I love dusty.
1: We, we've probably lost most of the listeners by now anyway so <laughs> talk about dusty roads
0: I I I can't talk enough about those Rhodes. I love everything about the man. I, I'm not going to sit here and say he was a phenomenal, uh, the most agile man in the ring, a phenomenal in-ring performer. But he had such great timing. He could go 60 minutes yep. uh, in the ring. He and he didn't look like like he would say, "I don't look like the athlete of the year." You know, <laughs> my belly little big, my honey a little big. Yep. I'm bad, brother, and they know I'm bad. Yeah, no. So he, he, he could talk, and I would listen. If Dusty would just, Dusty could talk about a grocery list, and I would, I would, I would be into it. A grocery list, had, if you will. Yeah. If yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love watching anything Dusty's in. I'll watch old WCW pay per views that he's doing commentary on because I know I'm getting. My money's worth just in commentary, even if the whole show is garbage. Mm -hmm. I know I'm getting my entertainment worth with Dusty Rhodes. Um just in just in that, but he personified the the working man, the working class man. Yes. He, He was the people's champion before The Rock was. Yep. He could draw people into a building. He could talk. He could re- he could wrestle. He could he had great timing. He had, he could tell a story inside the ring, yep. um, and he was some he was one of the most over people on the planet in, in the mm-hmm. wrestling business in the eighties. Uh, to me, Ric Flair Dusty Rhodes is is Batman and, and the Joker because yeah. that you can say Steamboat Steamboat that th- their matches are off the chart, yep. but there's just a different feel of the Dusty Rhodes Ric Flair feud. Yep. versus the Dusty or the Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat feud. And I, I I really just cannot say enough about how much I love Dusty Rhodes. Yeah.
1: I I like Dusty. Uh just just again, everything you said, I'll echo Ditto on that. Um the Flair uh uh Dusty Rhodes feud was awesome. Actually Dusty feuded with about every 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 heel back in those days, back in the old Uh, NWA days, and Mm -hmm. um, never disappointed. I I do. I can never. I I can't tell you a bad match I saw Dusty do, but um, the one thing I did not like. Oh, wait. Back first of all, back to your comment on Dusty, uh, his promos, his interviews, hearing him talk. Dude, you you go to church. Go to an old time uh, Church of God. preacher gets fired up i close my eyes i hear dusty Rhodes, and i can't (laughs) i can't pay attention to the message so (laughs) dust dusty obviously was raised in church because the way he he carries himself the way he would do those interviews and stuff i'm like he's just ripping off an old pastor but he does it so amazingly (laughs) so
0: like a a tell like a television evangelist like
1: a televangelist. yeah just about yeah just about
0: reach my hand my hand is touching your hand Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: that's, some televangel- that's some televangelist stuff.
1: Could, could you see Dusty in like a powder blue uh, tuxedo, um, maybe with a handkerchief wiping his brow, preaching a sermon? I oh, I
0: remember that. watching like a football game, and I'm like, I'm like, man, if Dusty was doing commentary on this football game, it'd be so much more better.
1: <laughs> okay, let's be honest. If Dusty did a commentary on any football game, it would be better. Right,
0: I'm just saying, like. <laughs> I gro- he like I said, I, I said it before, he could read a grocery list and it would be inter- he would make it entertaining to to listen to him talk about you know I'm gonna get some apples and then uh yeah I'm gonna get me some uh, some fish sticks I'm gonna get me some I'm gonna get me some all oh, I'm gonna get me some of this yeah I'll, uh, he could do it I mean but he had charisma and it's so yes, hard to teach wrestlers or. Either you're born with it or you don't, or you don't have it or you, sure. you just can't be taught it. Now, I, I firmly believe Dusty had boatloads of charisma. Now, there's stuff that I hadn't seen of Dusty, like his work with Billy Graham up in, my uh, uh, superstar Billy Graham up in um, WWF. Right. That, he wasn't even working there and he's over so big. It, it's either a testament to how hated Billy Graham was. hmm in, in New York or how over Dusty was just through publications mm-hmm. or tape traders back right. then. Yep. Cause their stuff, their, their series of matches in New York is some of the best stuff ever.
1: Mm. I have to check some of that out. Like I, I, I knew about that, but I don't think I ever actually watched any of those matches. Oh yeah. Oh, so I have man. to check them out. Man. Um, the one thing that I, I was going to say, the, the low light of Dusty for me was this whole WWF gimmick um, with Sapphire and a stupid polka dotted outfit he had like the whole common man thing. That was okay. But uh, just that whole thing, him doing that there. I'm like, come on. Well, We're, we're, busty, going, to man.
0: we're going to disagree on this for once. Okay. And here's why I'm going to say it is Let's because it. that the polka dots is a Vince idea. So if anybody who watched wrestling in the late eighties and saw Dusty Rhodes and polka dots. That was Vince's idea. again. He came said, I, I see you in big polka dots. And Dusty thought he was riveting. He thought it was a big rib. Mm-hmm. But no, Vince was serious. So Vince, Dusty said, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to get it over. And guess what? He got it over. He was still over doing that stupid gimmick with Sapphire and he made it work. And you, so you, you just said Dusty.
1: You just said stupid gimmick. That's all we need to say.
0: I mean, it it, <laughs> it is a stupid gimmick, yes. but he, got, he made it work.
1: He did. Only he could too. That's that is so true. All right, our next guy, which would be 9, nine, eight, number seven. It's my number one guy, Sting. Love, love, love Sting. Um, just
0: do you love? Do you love Crow Sting or do you love? Do you love white meat, crew cut, blonde hair, multicolored baby face
1: sting? All of it. All no, of no, it. no. If you All have to choose. If I got to choose. I, okay. I would say if I had to choose, I would choose crow sting at the beginning of the crow gimmick. Like right. after a few years of that, I think he should probably got his hair cut and did something different. Uh, cause the crow sting evolved into the Joker sting, which I did not really like a lot. Uh, again, this is probably going back you know, 10 years ago now versus, you know, back to the eighties, but, um, just when he first, first came on the scene, um, in Georgia in WCW days, uh, just, he, he had, he had a look about him very charismatic. He worked great. Um he, he again in hindsight you see a lot of these guys you don't see many of those guys many of the old wrestlers talk bad about his character uh, like character as in like him as a person not the character that he, he plays yeah, um, his personal
0: character. That's yeah.
1: and it, it, again with my heart you know the way i am like i'm i'm a born again christian and so staying going that route in his life kind of like made me even a little bit more um, appreciate him and what he did. But uh, some of the fuse he had, like Flair made him Um, without, without that, that rub from Flair. uh, He still has a good career, but I think Flair helped catapult him into being the superstar he became. And no matter who he feuded with, no matter who he wrestled, he made him look good. Uh, and I, I think, I think people probably, again, from the stuff that I've seen and read and listened to um, people liked working with him uh, just because he was a, a, was a good quality guy. Um, yeah. I was, I'm a stinger for life, man. Well, um, growing up watching a lot of
0: wrestling uh, sting was, was white hot when I first got into wrestling. So you know, with having only access to NWA, WCW, and WWF, he was the he was the top guy, top babyface in in that company at the time. So I I really always enjoyed Sting's work as well. Um, mm-hmm. You're correct. You know, Flair did make him in, at Clash of the Champions one. Uh, oh, that's, that's the, classic. I think it was Forty minutes they went, or sixty minutes they went. I'm I think not it was sixty. Sure. Um, and he he always could play that, that that baby face well. Um, he had phenomenal matches with Vader. He had phenomenal matches with Nikita Koloff. Mm-hmm. He had match great matches with Ric Flair. Um, you know he never I don't think I can sit here and say that he never had a terrible match in that mm-hmm. time frame. Right. Um but I always love the the multicolor sting over the crow sting. Right any day of the week i just thought that the crow sting didn't have enough personality mm-hmm. um it was just kind of a gimmick and it was there and he didn't have to talk but i felt like the the white meat baby face sting was really really good and, and a positive role model for kids and stuff like that because there was always kids you'd always see a kid in the front row with like a crew cut and a, the stinger face paint and with a little tail in the back little tail little little <laughs> canadian mullet in the back and
1: Canadian mullet, I love it.
0: And um, no, I always, I always thought Sting was a like an upstanding guy. He didn't you know? You he never heard anything bad or read anything bad about Sting, and I, I've never heard anyone have a bad thing to say about him in any mm-hmm. interviews, any books I've read. So I feel like he's probably a very upstanding human being. Um, my friend Jen actually works for Walmart. She she went to Arkansas and they they did some kind of like convention there or something, and they brought him in and signing autographs and she like took this picture of her and Sting and I'm like you know who that is right and she's like yeah it's Sting and I'm like it's not the the recording artist Sting I think that you're thinking of he's like a a really big legend in the wrestling business and she's like well I got an autograph picture for you and I'm like
1: Oh, ho, ho, ho. nice like,
0: I got super excited about
1: that oh that's great yeah he um i going back just a little bit i'm I'm going to kind of regress just a, just a tad yeah the beginning I think I mentioned before the beginning of the crow sting was my favorite um, the next is the full color surfer guy Canadian mullet sting, but that 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 whole thing that that's just I mean that's just good stuff for me uh gosh i mean i i will go back and watch his matches and just love them. one thing I hated almost broke my heart, not really, but you know just like. Was how that match at WrestleMania went with him and Hunter. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, Hunter could have done the job. Oh, I, 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 I was mad, that was the exact same reason
0: I was mad about it. It's because he, he, they, he hadn't wrestled in a while, and they brought him in. There was all this hype, and he had this grand entrance, and you know, and it's it's me probably thinking this, but it's Hunter being Hunter saying that he he's beaten all these legends, including Sting, and I yeah. and I really I really thought that he could have done the right thing and had a, and let Sting have the one and only WrestleMania moment that he would ever have. Cause no yeah. one ever thought he'd see Sting yeah. in a WrestleMania. So why are we not putting over a guy who has such a huge contribution to this business on the grandest stage of them all mm-hmm. for the first time and only time we'll ever see him do that. So
1: yeah. Like, like of- if, if I'm, if I'm Hunter and I'm, I'm it, again, he puppet master there, you know, he calls his own shots, does what he's going to do um we're talking about triple h too by the way when we say oh hunter. yeah by the way you yes. might not realize that we're who we're talking about we're or talking john about, paul or john paul levec
0: yeah we're talking about paul levec aka hunter hearst homes aka triple h we're talking about that guy he he's
1: aka terror like, rising
0: terrorizing, like, talent, terrorizing. <laughs> he's a vp of talent relations
1: for the wwe right now so and he's married to vince mcmahon's daughter so
0: and he'll be but, running the company in like 10 years so
1: yes so um if, if i'm him I'm, I'm doing the job for sting. I'm going to lay down, do it, but maybe the next night, the following night, maybe have a feud that goes out and he could sit and he could like put sting out of the business, you know, like retire him, you know, like, um, let that feud last a month or so. And finally do something like something, you know, as part of the script as, you know, this catastrophic injury that ends his career, which ironically happened, but it should have been part... Triple H should have done that for him just to make it... That would have been a much classier move. For me,
0: it would have been different if if Triple H was still wrestling actively. Yeah. Still an active member of the roster maybe 10 years ago. Right. 15 years ago. Sting Mm -hmm. coming and doing the job. I'd have been okay with that, but Triple H was doing nothing. And then he's having this feud with Sting and this big match at WrestleMania. It's like, you're, you're, you're both really not doing anything. Why, why not do the honors for, for him? I know it's technically the, the elder is supposed to do the honors for you, but in this situation, it's a little different because it's WrestleMania. It's the first time Sting's ever been on WrestleMania. Why are we not doing the honors for
1: him? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny because Sting didn't, it didn't seem to bother him too much. I got paid, um, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I to some Matt check. Yeah, me too. But uh, for us fans, the ones that followed him for years, I think, you know, he could have he could have done better. And another thing that bothered me about that was Bradshaw kind of burying Sting during the, the commentary. Um it's like he's an idiot. I never liked him anyway. But anyhow, we could spend all night talking about this. Next guy up, which would be number six, Jake the Snake Roberts. Never really cared much for him. Um, I'm happy to see his life rebounding, like near death pretty much, like got himself in a lot of trouble with drugs and whatever. But uh, I just was never really a fan. He didn't really do anything for me, bringing the big snake to the ring. I'm sure the kids loved it, but I wouldn't feel on it.
0: Well, that's where me and you differ again, because I love Jake Roberts. I think Jake Roberts is – if. He's not if he's not the best storyteller in the history of wrestling, he's probably top five. Um, in my book, just in ring work. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake had this m- way he moved, there was no wasted movement in what he did. Everything had a purpose. Everything he said he was going to do in promos happened, which is what you should do when you're cutting promos. Mm-hmm. His promos were believable. He never yelled. He never screamed. He always talked very calmly into the the camera. He made you believe the character that he was portraying at that time. Now, I got into wrestling right around the time he was a good guy. Mm -hmm. Post-Ricky Steamboat feud. So the
1: Rick Rude type thing going on? The
0: Rick Rude uh, wife and... And painting uh, Cheryl Roberts' his face on his trunks and oh yeah yeah, which is kind of cool feud. <laughs> um, but I always thought Jake just was I, I felt like, and I've gotten from other wrestlers, I've gotten like the 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 naysayer from my my wrestling friends that I always felt like Jake could have had such a great run with the belt and feuded with Randy Savage. I oh felt yeah. Like Needed he he I know he didn't need the belt but I felt like a, the belt would have put more emphasis on there and that was the thing. Someone pointed out to me is that he didn't need a belt. He was like Jake was the stepping stone to go to Hogan. So anybody who wrestled Jake would then go on to Hogan, right? Because Vince had to know like if you can if you can wrestle with Jake then you can wrestle with Hogan. Mm-hmm. But like Randy feuded with Hogan right, or Jake right before he got moved over to Hogan. So you got to see that that transition. And that's where Rick rude was going, but then they got kiboshed. So mm-hmm. I always felt like that's a huge, huge amount of respect Vince is giving you to put you in that position that you're kind of the feeder for Hogan. Right. Uh, Cause let's face it. That's, that was the guy Vince was pushing to the moon back then. And, and that you've got to have all those underneath players. So, um, Jake, for me, is one of the one of the best workers of all time, best wrestlers of all time. Um, just from in ring work, promos, he kind of almost had the complete package. He was tall, you know. He didn't he didn't look like you know a million bucks. That's you know, but he you know he kind of looked the part, and he had a great little gimmick that was going on there. And I mean, it, I could again, this is somebody that I could just talk about, but I'm I'm going to try to digress here.
1: Ain't you changed my mind? I'm back on. I'm on I'm on Jake Roberts now.
0: There we go. Good job.
1: Good job. You sold it. The next. Now we're in the top five.
0: I'm I'm disappointed that Dusty's not in top five. Oh me I too. I really,
1: I really am. Yeah, I, I think I think if again I'm looking at a lot of these people here because I, I know some of these people personally mm-hmm. that have voted here and um uh, I'm looking at some of them at this point and, and they're mostly not um, necessarily wrestling fans, but kind of knew of wrestling growing sure. up. Maybe maybe sure. watched maybe watch a WrestleMania or two. You know, sure. not, they're 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 not our people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the number five guy, which should be ranked higher in my opinion, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, legend. Um, the guy when my when I first knew of Ric Flair, it was through wrestling magazines. And, again, you're probably talking a couple months into my life as a wrestling fan. And he shows up in Georgia. And he had just won – or he either just won the belt from Harley Race or – Second time. Or he – was no, it was the the first time he was champ. Or he was getting ready to wrestle Harley – to get the title. I can't remember which one it was, but the the guy just came out. He had that charisma. He had, now to me, that was what a wrestler looked like the Mm -hmm. long flowing hair, the robe, the, when he would do an interview on the mic, like the guy, even uh, today, he's kind of like a parody of himself. He's kind of reminds me of David Lee Roth right now. It's not the rock star. Yeah, that's a good,
0: analogy. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, thanks.
1: Thanks, buddy. Um, but like back in the back in his prime, no matter who he wrestled, they were going to put on a good match. He would he would have these jobbers in the in the Georgia studio. Man, he's wrestling Ken Thames and making him look like a but
0: hold a on. Card. Let's stop right there. So I went back and watched some of those job matches. Uh huh. Flair, to his credit, gave gave a lot in those job matches that he probably shouldn't have given yep. but he did. And to me, that's something that is lost is that those guys were probably getting 200 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks yep. to come in there and get squashed by guys like the road warriors yep. and uh, Nikita call and get the crap beat out of them. And here is the world heavyweight champion giving you some offense and making you look good on TV that is something that's lost on Ric Flair. A lot of people will say that he he was a prick,
1: uh-huh.
0: but he is not. He, I mean, that is something that he would he would give he he would give to the, some of those younger underneath guys.
1: Yeah, which is funny that you say that because it, it, it seems to be a divide on Ric Flair. I think a lot of the guys revere him.
0: Yeah, um, they respect him. He's like a, he's a living legend. He's like a statue. Like, yeah. he's like a living legend.
1: I mean, yeah, he um. He always, but it, it feels like a, a lot of the guys loved him. A lot of the guys uh, to this day, just like, ah, oh, he's a jerk. He's an idiot, whatever, full of himself. But yeah, watching the matches, seeing the interviews, the feuds that he had, um, with, with like Steamboat and Terry Funk and Sting, mm-hmm. like back in, back in the, the early WCW days, those were, those were awesome. Uh, his, it, him with the four horsemen, like, that's wrestling royalty right there. Just watching watching those guys, seeing the old videos from back then, and just re- realizing how good we had it <laughs> watching those matches. So, yeah, that, that, that's what oh, I got on Ric Flair. You know, I,
0: was, I was talking about this with someone the other day um, on another podcast. I said, here's the problem with wrestling nowadays. As like, it's too easy to get in the business. Mm-hmm. It's too easy just to go and find a training school and go train and be in the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. You don't, and you don't have to be on the road 300 days a year right. away from your family. You know, you it, think about that, folks. There's 65 days of the year you get to see your family, your wife, your kids, all that stuff, and and, and you miss out on holiday. Back then, you missed out on holidays, mm-hmm. Thanksgivings, Christmas. They were wrestling on Christmas Day. They were wrestling on yep. Thanksgiving. They missed out on a lot of stuff, and they were bumping and 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 making lots, making good money back then, um, doing this on, on a 300-day-a-year basis. So nowadays, it's easy to get in the business. Back then, you had to know somebody, and then you had to hang around and do work for the boys. So you had to, like, take their coats, move their cars, sell concessions, whatever. You had to have some kind of end of the business, set up the ring, set up chairs, take tickets, whatever, to kind of earn your dues. And then they'd put you in the ring, and then they'd be, beat you up, and then they'd stretch you. Mm-hmm. And then they'd see if you come back and then they do it again and they do it again. And they do it. And finally someone would take you under their wing and say, all right, kid, I'm going to show you some stuff. And then you're going to come on the road with us. You're going to carry our bags for three weeks. You're not going away. So here. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, that's how you got in the business. And, you know, Rick Flair went to Vern Gagne's wrestling school up in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. from everything that I read, Vern being Vern would take people's money and then he would basically run them to death until they quit and stretch them to death till they quit. And then he had your money because he had to make you some, sign some kind of contract or something that you were going to train. Well, Rick flair, Ricky steamboat and the iron cheek out of like 10 people are the only three that actually made it through that training camp. Wow. And Vern was like running them like six miles around the farm and then throwing them in this barn with with this ring and stretching them and, you know, beating them up, and then then they had to go on the road with these guys and pay their dues, so to speak. So for me, it's a testament to how guys getting in the business nowadays. And, and when you said wrestling royalty, wrestlers aren't like they were back then. You know, you had to learn to cut promos on the fly. You had to learn to talk. Now everything's kind of scripted to what you want to talk about. There's no creativity in your promos anymore. You don't have that no. skill anymore because Vince's writers are writing your promos because they want you to say certain things. Uh, even in, in the, the independent circuit that I worked on, my promoter would come up to me and say, all right, I, if we're filming this for the show, we're filming this for TV or internet or whatever, I need you to talk about this. And then he would walk away. So then I had to come up with the filler, so to speak, of the promo and say this, this, and this. So knowing Flair and knowing the the, the time they had on the, the, the NWA programming, those promos are off the fly, off the cuff. There mm-hmm. was no scripting. Right. So, like Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, they would literally have promos where they would they would all sit in the studio and cut these promos mm-hmm. and watch each other, and they would go back and forth. Like if, if it was Flair versus Dusty, Flair would try to top Dusty on his promo. Dusty would try to, try to top Flair on his promo. And it would go back and forth until one of them gave up yep. or someone would just stop and be like, all right, no more. But but that's an art that is missing in this business is that the ability to draw fans into a crowd or into a building to watch this. Flair, Dusty, Roddy Piper, those are the masters of talking people into seats. Mm-hmm. And oh, I yeah. think, think that Rick Flair is – one of the one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time, bar none. Amen. He's, I mean, he's, he's up there.
1: Yep. Agreed. It's funny you talk about the interviews and things like that. And we'll go off on a rabbit trail just for a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I've seen like back then the old studio shows and you'd see like a poster board. And like if Ric Flair is doing an interview, you'd see some stuff written on it. Like, you have to mention this guy and this guy, and you've got to say Charlotte, Columbus, Ohio, and Atlanta. You've got to say these things, and then everything else, like you said, was on the fly. Um, Now, when I watch wrestling, again, I don't, but um, things aren't on the fly anymore. They are scripted. Um, One of the things that drives me nuts, and the WWE is the worst at this, and I wish they would stop. If, uh, if everybody's got to have their ring music and production, and all that, okay, I get that. But during a match, the music starts playing, and a guy comes to attack somebody in the ring. Like, dude, I want you to come out of the crowd and beat somebody up. I want you to come up unannounced. Nobody needs to hear your stupid theme music. It it loses any kind of spontaneity that it may have had, with that kind of junk right there. And that's one of the reasons why I – I don't watch wrestling i i do i have watched some of uh Cody rhode's new promotion what's it a w f is that what it is yeah um that that has more of that old school feel to it a lot of a, a whole lot of acrobatic type stuff there that I'm not really into uh but there there's some good brawling um so it, it, again it has more of that old school feel but again I'm so far removed from being an active wrestling fan. That uh, that that doesn't really, you know, it's hard to get me to keep my attention on that kind of stuff.
0: But no, I, I'm I, I'm in the same boat, Rob. I didn't watch WWE programming for the longest time, and and I recently started watching it again. Um, and I I still go back and watch old stuff. And even mm-hmm. when I was wrestling on a full time basis, mm-hmm. I was going back and watching old stuff. And I'm like, I'm I'm stealing spots from mm-hmm. the old stuff. I'm like, they haven't seen this. There's no one. Oh, yeah. seen yeah. In 20 years. So, like, I would do it and it would get over. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like, people are missing out. Like, uh, I put a guy in a chin lock one time, and chin lock's one of the most boring basic moves of all time. Oh, yeah. And this guy in the front row, I looked right at him and he was giving me the thumbs down for putting this guy in the chin lock. Mm-hmm. Like, booing me for putting him in the chin lock, but not booing me in a way that was good. He was booing me because I wasn't doing the, the flippy five star moving back and forth. Oh, yeah. So, the guy I was wrestling, super old school guy. Um, he was like, all right. He saw the guy too. He's like, all right, you're going to, I'm going to elbow you out and then I'll put, throw you into the corner and then I'm going to come in with an elbow miss. And you put me right back in the chin lock. (laughs) I said, okay, fine. So he did the move and instead of putting the guy in the chin lock, I put him in a nerve hole. Uh Uh-huh. just looked at the guy in the front row and just kind of smiled. So
1: we're going to do this for five more minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I said, we're going to, we'll do this all day. I don't care. Like that was one of the things I was taught really early in the business is like, don't let anyone dictate your, anyone in the crowd dictate your match other than by the cheers and boos yeah. and like the literal cheers and boos, not like the guy in the front row that's booing me because I'm in it. Cause he get, doesn't
1: like that move. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's, um, I, I, just, I just wish, I mean, it would, it would help. It would help a lot if uh, like Vince, cause he owns literally every wrestling video catalog there is. Um, to to just have some of the guys go back and watch some of the old, uh, some of the heat uh, from, you know, like, like you talk about Jake Roberts and Rick Rude, like watch the heat that these guys create, watch, uh, watch what happens when, um, uh, when Ricky Steamboat's kids come out, you know, just stuff like that.
0: Well, and and to be fair to, and I don't want to defend Vince, but he's, you know, he's a publicly traded company now. So he has investors to appease, And Uh he has television, you know, studios, you know, the USA Network to appease as far as his raw programming goes. And now Fox. Yeah, Yeah. and Fox. So he can't can't really do what was done back in the day. Um, Mm -mm. He could to a point, but he can't really do a lot of it now.
1: Yeah, you don't want to go back and rip it off. But I think some of the guys need coaching on this is how you pull the fans into the ring with you do some of this kind. I just
0: don't think there needs to be people writing scripts. I think that no. you, I think guys need to learn how to, to pull people into an arena. And I think that Vince needs to allow wrestlers to, to actually work a crowd. They don't work crowds anymore. They just go through the motions and do a pose and then keep going through the motions. And yep. they, they try to let the match make the fans come back. And I mean, wrestling still popular. It's just not as popular as it, as it once was 20 years ago and oh, yeah. 30 years ago. So, but getting back to Ric Flair, we got a little bit off topic there. That's to me, that's the difference between uh, good wrestlers and bad wrestlers is that Ric Flair could, he had everything. He had the look and the look was, they say that when you're a wrestler, you should either be very close to your personality or way out in left field of your personality. And Ric Flair wearing, you know, a a $5,000 Rolex and, you know, Gator shoes and custom made from head to toe, that was Ric Flair. He lived that life. He lived the gimmick, so to speak. And it was believable because it was true. Right. People see Ric Flair on the street, that he was dressed like that. When he was out in public in the bars, gallivanting like he was, that was Ric Flair. So he that's how he brought people into the arenas. That that he was hated so much, people wanted to see him get beat up. It's kind of like um, Roddy Piper once said, he said, who really made WrestleMania one? Did people come to see Hogan or did they come to see Hogan beat up Roddy Piper?
1: They came to see Hogan beat up Piper. (laughs) That's right. Um, So that's a nice segue. Our number four guy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. This guy, if Sting's my favorite, Piper's got to be my number two. He, oh my goodness. Again, my first exposure period to him was on, on Georgia championship wrestling. Uh, he came out as all he was supposed to be as a color commentator, that's how they brought him out. And uh, him alongside Gordon Sully, they played off each other wonderfully. So, if you go back and watch his old videos, you'll see that. But um, eventually, that evolved into him getting involved with some of the guys, like he feuded with Bob Armstrong, which is which was really cool. Him and Tommy Rich went at it, and then uh, he. He had a. It's funny how this happened. He had. He was. I, I can't. The, the story is gonna kind of go off. Maybe not absolutely accurate. You could probably correct me. But he was someplace in in real life, and uh, he had stopped a mugger and ended up getting stabbed, and that made national news. Like this wrestler had saved this lady and got stabbed or whatever. So the decision was made was to turn him. Uh, as a baby face. And so he suddenly, I, I was watching the other day, it all came back. Um, uh, Don Morocco was somebody that he had tagged with a few times and Morocco was out there talking about like, he wasn't, you know, why doesn't anybody care about my matches? Why am I not getting these main events and title shots and stuff? They start shoving Gordon solely and then Piper just goes off on him. And so he he turned then and that that's my first exposure to Piper. After that, just watching his whole career, uh, his WWF days, it made the WWF watchable for me is seeing him there uh, doing Piper's pit. And just no matter who he wrestled, um, I I just, like, he was always, most of the time he was a bad guy. But watching him do his thing, like, I don't care who he was wrestling. I was cheering for Piper. I wanted him and Orndorff to beat again to Mr. T. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I again even in his later days and in his his uh, WCW run against the NWO and all that kind of stuff, Piper was still there. Past his prime, but he was still more over than most of the the guys that were main eventing and stuff at the time. But Roddy Piper's my guy, man. Yeah, Roddy Piper my dog is
0: actually named after Roddy Piper. So her full name is Rowdy Rory Piper nice piper for short um it, there's a lot of words that can describe P- roddy piper to me and reading his one of his he has two autobiographies one was one was written half of part of it was written after he passed part of it was, written, he was alive part of it was written after he passed away and then he had one before that uh roddy piper there's a lot of words that can describe him like i said intense super intense in his interviews intense in the ring at times um self-made man, um, you know, survivor. A lot of words can describe Roddy Piper. He's one of the, uh, he's one of the wrestlers that I respect more in this business than a lot of others because of his upbringing and what he went through. Um, and just being his own person. He was very paranoid in the wrestling business because of, the upbringing that he had in the business because he kind of grew up in the business from a very, very, very young age. Right. Uh, so he, he learned a lot from his forefathers in the business and he was very, very paranoid in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when I was exposed to Roddy Piper, I just thought he was annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't grasp the concept of what a heel was at that point in time. But to watch him now and to watch earlier stuff, I can tell how great of a heel he was and how really great of a baby. He knew how to play both parts very, very well. It wasn't much of a change in in that part. No, he, that, st- he um, stayed the same guy. <laughs> it was just how he worded things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of Roddy Piper stories. My, It's probably one of my favorite all-time Wrestling rib stories. Now, ribs are considered jokes in the wrestling business for people uh, that don't know. They're either jokes or practical jokes. So, Roddy Piper was a journeyman. He went from Minnesota out to California, up to Portland, over to Georgia, over to Mid Atlantic, up to the WWF. He did a lot of territory, spending quality time in the territory, each territory he went to. So, he was in California. And he was wrestling for, I believe it was uh, a company ran by G- Judo Jean LaBelle, who's very famous in the MMA world. And um, he was told that he was going to uh, Fresno to wrestle a bear. Now, in Roddy Piper's mind, he thought he was just going to be wrestling this huge bear of a man. So he, when he walks into the arena that night, there stands before him a seven-foot grizzly bear. Like a real life grizzly bear. Now this wrestling a grizzly bear has been going on in, in the wrestling carny circuits for years. Right. And so he's standing there and he's talking to the trainer and the trainer says, well, the, the bear doesn't have any front teeth. So if you get your fingers in the front of his mouth, it ain't gonna hurt, but he does have back teeth. So he's sitting there and just kind of perplexed as to what he's going to do. And his friend, uh, the Alaskan Jay York comes up from behind him and smacks him on the butt and says, go get him, tiger. So they go out and, you know, you can lock up with a bear. A bear can give you an arm drag. You can, a bear can wrestle if it's trained. So he's out there and he's starting – he locks up with the bear and the bear does a go-behind on him. And the bear grabs him by the trunks and starts basically putting his snout in Roddy Piper's trunks. And it's just like he's got him – and the bear's strong, so he's just got him hooked by these trunks. And Roddy's like running around the ring as this bear has got him and he's yelling at the train like, you know, tranquilizing, tranquilizing, because they said if he got out of hand, they could tranquilize the bear. So they did tranquilize the bear, but by the time it all wore off, Piper had basically fallen out of the ring with his trunks down to his thighs, and he hit his head on the concrete, and he's laying there, naked from the waist down. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, I just almost died from a bear. Come to find out, his good friend Jay York, when he came up and slapped him on the butt, had a handful of honey.
1: that is great oh i've never heard that story i that is that is awesome Uh, which only that that's that's
0: only in wrestling can things like that happen where your friend quote unquote tries to get you mauled by a bear
1: (laughs) oh that's funny
0: for the sheer entertainment of the boys in the back
1: yes (laughs) that's great All right, moving on. Number three. The ultimate warrior. The dingo warrior. Jim (sighs) Helwig. Rest in peace.
0: Hard pass. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's funny because I'm kind of the same in the same camp. Um, I first when I first saw him, of course, was in the WWF. And dude was freaking chiseled out of stone. His interviews were incoherent. He couldn't wrestle, but because of the physique and the bright colors and what the WWF was at that time, he was very over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, again, I never thought much of him. I I was watching something Jim Cornette was talking about him, talking about when he first came up in, uh, I think it was in World Class or someplace, Uh, him and Sting were the Blade Runners. They were known as Flash and Rock. And, um, I think it it might've been Bill Watts territory. I can't remember.
0: Yeah. UWA.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the way Cornette tells it is like Watts, he told, uh, warrior, he's like, you don't even need to be in this business. You should find another line of work. You're terrible. And then he decided to promote and push sting, which worked out good. And so through hook hooker by crook, he ends up in the WWF and becomes one of the biggest stars And number three on our list and again he never really did anything for me other than just obviously you tell the dude had a super huge physique and that's about all i got well to appease those people who
0: voted for him and is going to listen to this podcast um the ultimate warrior was so popular when i was a kid that i mean me and my friends would get into verbal altercations about who was better, Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior. And
1: did it ever come I, I, to blows?
0: No. Again, I, I <laughs> again I at a young age could tell good wrestlers from bad wrestlers. And the Ultimate Warrior was a bad wrestler. He was just marketed and pushed in a way that made him look far superior to anything else out there. Because if you watch that era of wrestling and you watched him go out there and squash a job guy in like ten seconds and then run run out, run squash the guy and run to the back, it helped build him up for uh, what eventually happened when, you know, he got to wrestle, you know, Rick Rude or something like, you know, during that time where Rude would run circles around this guy as far as work rate goes. Mm-hmm. Um now I won't say that he didn't have a phenomenal match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six, mm-hmm. um, because they did, right? Um, but I have to credit that to Hogan actually making him work, uh, and making him, you know, making each other kind of look good in that realm. Like they knew how to to work each other. It's a very big testament to to Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was never a fan, and to this most wrestlers, I can go back and look at and say. I didn't like him as a kid but I like him now. Um Ultimate Warrior is still not one of them. I still will. people will come up to me and be like oh yeah you remember the Ultimate Warrior? Yes I do. God. I, I tried <laughs> for Um I have respect for anybody that's been in this business and made money and you know um did what do do what did what I love to do. Um so you know hats off to him for 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 finding a niche and you know proving Bill Watts wrong because mm-hmm. he You know, he, he made money. He, he carried a company for a year, almost a year. So yeah, um, I got to give him credit where credit's due on that. And I said, I don't want to bury a guy. Um, but uh, he just was not my cup of tea and he was a lot of other people's. So,
1: yep. Um, number two, the macho man, Randy Savage. Um, I always love Savage. Um, again, my first exposure to him was when he came to the WWF. Um, And then of course I realized later that, uh, you know, he did have a career before that at this time I wasn't reading wrestling magazines anymore. I was just watching. Right. And uh, just, uh, he had a look Um, he, man, great worker. When in in his younger days, Um, you know, pretty wife, (laughs) you know, everyone loved Miss Elizabeth. Um, Just uh, he was, I mean, the matches he had with Hogan and even with warrior and uh, some, some of the other guys were just, they were phenomenal. Uh, The guys seemed to give everything into every match and, and uh, not being the WWF guy, he was again, one of the ones that would make me want to watch the show for when he came out.
0: Macho Man uh passing away was the worst birthday news I ever got. Oh, it was on your birthday? My birthday. Oh, bummer. And it was it was super weird because when I was 5 or 6 I had a Macho Man birthday cake one time. Wow. Yeah, so it was super eerie, um but I woke up that morning and and learned that he'd passed away, so it was kind of a really terrible birthday that happened that day, but um uh Even as a kid, um, I loved Randy Savage, even as a bad guy. Mm -hmm. I think he was the first bad guy I was ever uh, drawn to as far as everything about him. Like, as much as I wanted to hate the guy, Mm -hmm. I loved how he worked, how he moved, how he flowed in the ring. His interviews were intense. Um, he He had a look as far as, like, uh, how he came to the ring, how he got in the ring, just intense intensity personified, uh, more so than Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, the first storyline that ever hooked me, and I always go back to this, is Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Miss Elizabeth, 1988 or ni- 1989, right before WrestleMania. Savage and Hogan in the back. Hogan, Savage thinks Hogan's trying to, get with his woman. I remember that tosses Elizabeth across the room. And now I'm like, man, I want Hogan to beat that dude up. (laughs) He threw a woman across the the room and it hooked me. That, that is the moment in time where I was like fish hooked into this business for good. Wow. Because I bought into that emotion that was there. Now when I go back and look at it, I'm like Hogan's acting's kind of hokey, but Macho was so intense when he threw Elizabeth across that room. It still to this day looks like I know there's probably somebody back there either the catcher, or there was a crash pad, mm-hmm. but it still looks super legitimate. Yes. And it still brings out that emotion in me that I had when I was a five year old child.
1: Mm. Like,
0: oh my God, like I just want Hogan to beat this guy up so bad. <laughs> um I, I, I love Randy Savage so much uh, as, as, a, as a character, as a wrestler. Um, he is like the opposite Dusty Rhodes to me. Dusty Rhodes is out of shape, uh, but can talk and work and tell stories. Randy Savage is the in-shape version of Dusty Rhodes, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, other than Ric Flair, of course. But, um, but everything Savage, everybody Savage worked with was better for working with him. Ricky's Steamboat was better. Um, their match at WrestleMania three could put, you know, could run neck and neck with something him and, um, Flair did. Um, yep. he even had matches with Ric Flair at WrestleMania eight that were, that was really good. Yep. Hogan. He made Hogan better. He, everybody he worked with always got better from working with him. And that's a testament to Randy Savage as an in-ring, in-ring performer.
1: Gotcha. And one of my favorite fun facts about Randy Savage is he he was born in Columbus, Ohio. That's so very, true. <laughs> grew up very, in Columbus. very true.
0: He is a, he is a Buckeye.
1: Yes, he is. So, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm with you. Uh, when he passed, that was, that was sad. Cause you know, again, I always liked the guy. When he came to WCW and, and did his thing there in the nineties, uh, he hadn't lost a step. It's like one of the guys that, you know, Fence thought he'd done all he could out of him and he has, he had this resurrected career for another three or four years. It was really good. So, All right, number one, you knew it was coming, the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan. And I noticed you voted for Hulk Hogan here, Devlin. You, you asked who your favorite wrestler in the 80s was. I did. I did. I, and, mean, uh, I mean, how could you
0: not live in the 80s because Hulkamania started – the year I was born, 1983, mm-hmm. and, you know, with beating the Iron Sheik and, you know, seven years we got in the 80s of Hulkamania, and it was the biggest thing. You know, me and Rob have, and a lot of other people, have had the privilege of living through two golden eras of professional wrestling, yep. um, both the 80s and the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And Hulk Hogan was the end-all beat for me because I that's how, who I saw first on a wrestling television program was Hulk Hogan was the end-all, be-all of wrestlers. Ran around my house ripping shirts, posing, <laughs> doing, the, doing the Hulk up. Um, probably gave my sister a big boot every once in a while. <laughs> when my mom ruined professional wrestling for me and basically told me that it was a scripted program, although that's not the words that she used. She, um, did she use the f word? She did use the fake word. She did oh, say, "Oh my goodness, mom, come on!" Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but you know, you can't big boot your sister and uh, get away with
1: it. Um, I used to gorilla slam my brothers, like hacksaw, Butch Reed, man.
0: But a little, you got a little bit more leniency when it's boys. But when you're when you're the younger oh, yeah.
1: brother and you're you're running across
0: the room and you're big boot, your sister, it's a trouble, did it? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, little bit more of a uh, like. Where did you learn that kind of kind of thing? Nice. My That's mom being a single parent was it was hard to to like I said reel me in from time to time. Um, Hulk Hogan is the is the is the Michael Jordan Babe Ruth of professional wrestling, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, he forever changed the sport of professional wrestling. Him and him and I have to give credit to Vince too because Vince is the one who took a vision he had and pushed it, and and Hogan was the guy who had the ball and ran with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have to give credit to you know MTV as well for bringing that to the forefront of of you know the public eye because MTV was was global, and having someone like Hogan on their programming you know, for the, like wrestling Roddy Piper, the war to end the score mm-hmm. was, was, that was the lead up to, or that was post WrestleMania one and Piper, you know, you know, quote unquote kicking Cindy Lopper, which he didn't really kick her, but yeah. it um, Hogan had a very long, long run in the WWF. Oh yeah, and made a ton of money, and you know did you know a lot of things outside of the W.F. 2 like make a wishes, and um, you know he was a very good role model for kids.
1: Say and, your vitamins. Eat. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins.
0: Say your tra- say your prayers. Train and eat your vitamins. That's Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. And he was he was all American. He was an American to me. Like I said, he's an American icon. You can put him up there with. You know Elvis Presley. You can put him up there with Babe Ruth. You can put him up there with Michael Jordan. You can put him up there with anybody you would feel that is a pop culture American icon, mm-hmm.
1: because of his
0: contributions to you know not just wrestling. He you know he if you go up to any casual person and say, "Do you know who Hulk Hogan is?" They're going to know who Hulk Hogan is. You know, and that's the thing. It's it's like we lived as Wrestling fans, we lived in a society where, if we were living in the 1920s, Babe Ruth was the biggest person in the sports at that time. And right. Go up and say, "Hey, do you know who Babe Ruth is?" Of course, they know who Babe Ruth is. We lived in a time where, in the 80s and 90s, you could say, "Do you know who Hulk Hogan is?" So right. that's why I put him on that type of pedestal. When people were always arguing about, you know, who's the greatest basketball player, and I'm like, "It's Michael Jordan. He changed the sport. He he." Yeah. Ch- Hulk Hogan changed the sport of professional wrestling to what it is today.
1: Oh yeah, it, it it's funny. I um when I first um first exposed to Hulk Hogan was at the very beginning the intro of Georgia Championship Wrestling. There was a shot of Hulk Hogan. Um, he was known as a uh, was it Gold Terry, Terry Golden. Golden? Yeah, back then. Um,
0: or a uh, Boulder Terry Boulder?
1: He, I, I think he was Terry Golden then, um, but he. Like, he wasn't there anymore, but they had the same promo, the same introduction for, like, five years. So that was it. I'm like, oh, I'd like to see who that guy was. And then the wrestling magazines came out. But um, so here, here is a little – this is how I remember it. Um, again, watching the sport very closely at the time. Uh, I remember watching Rocky Three and seeing Hulk Hogan uh, – come out as Thunderlips, hmm and it was that movie and that time at that at that time hulk was wrestling in the awa and no
0: let me correct you on that so good hulk was working for vince's dad he's working for vince senior and hulk got this offer to go play Thunderlips. Mm-hmm. and vince senior basically said if you go do that role you're gonna you're, you're not gonna have a job here mm-hmm so he went and took that role because ah. a lot of money
1: mm-hmm.
0: then he went to the awa after that because he didn't have an he didn't have a job okay you know one would book him so he went to Vern and and Vern was going to put him you know as the as the big champion because he had all this momentum from from being in rocky three sure and vince jr took over the company in that transition period and Vince knew the same thing and offered him more money to come over there and basically would put him as, the, as, the okay.
1: So out. part of that is how I remember. I, That's I, right. I didn't realize that Vince senior had given the ultimatum. Well, yeah. Cause he was, cause yeah. Vince
0: senior is the guy who gave him the name Hulk Hogan because he loved ethnic names and
1: Hogan being an Irish name. He gave him
0: the name Hulk Hogan. Oh, okay. Gotcha.
1: Um, so I, I remember, um, him going to the AWA. I was thinking that he was already with the AWA, like when Vince maybe, you know, in hindsight now, Vince let him go, that he went immediately to the AWA. I didn't realize there was a gap where he wasn't working anywhere, but I digress. Um, but, yeah, it was after Rocky Three, the whole thing, and that's when Hulkamania really started getting momentum. And I, I think there was some heat between Bach, Quinkle, and Vince when he hired Hogan away, too.
0: Yeah, Vern. Yeah,
1: because or, or Vern. Vern, yeah. Vern offered the
0: Iron Sheik like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to hurt Hogan in the the match where they switched the titles. Really? Because because Hulk balked at Vern's offer in the AWA to stay because Vince offered him so much more money to come over there. Mm-hmm. So huh. Sheik was brought into Vern's office and he rejected the offer and. That's why you still see the Iron Sheik on Vince's programming because of his loyalty to not do that to to Hogan and that title
1: switch in January of 83. Wow. Good stuff, man. See, I learned something. Um, I do um, – I, I I remember kind of not being really a Hulkamaniac so much because it was too cartoony for me. But all these years later, watching matches, watching interviews, seeing how he – he really again. He's not the best wrestler um, physically. You could go watch
0: some stuff from Japan that he did.
1: Really want talk about yeah.
0: Hogan putting on some good matches. And let me tell you, I, I was I was not sold on that either until I went and someone uh, tuned me into a match in Japan he had. I think it was was with Fujinami, mm-hmm. um, and it is a phenomenal. Hogan works like Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat type working. Really super phenomenal. Super phenomenal.
1: I guess he didn't feel like he had to do that in the U S just be big and you don't have to look.
0: (laughs) If you ever listen to Bruce Prichard's podcast, it's the whole thing. Uh, he talks about Vince's always wanting Hogan to be able to pose at the end of shows or end of matches Mm -hmm. that Hogan, when you don't have to do much, why do it too much is too much for American fans. That's all they needed was what we got here of Hogan in Japan. You've got to do stuff to make the crowd
1: appreciate you. <laughs> nice. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so uh, seeing him go through all that and then coming to WCW and then uh, the NWO stuff, uh, you know, start, started liking Hogan a little bit more. Towards the end, it was really bad with Russo and all that. But, um, yeah, Hogan very deserving of that number one spot for sure. And uh, so, yeah, that's good stuff. So last part we're going to have here is we are going to go through, like we went through these lists. Are there guys that weren't mentioned that you, that, that you, that really defined 80s wrestling for you? And, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll go back and forth on this one. You go, you do a guy, I'll do a guy, because I think some of them might overlap a bit here. So, um, give us, give us, give me four or five guys that, that you think, uh, deserve to be on this list and, uh, you know, that history may not have been as kind to or may not be remembered the same way. So uh, you go ahead, go with your first guy. Let me you know what you think.
0: Um, so I, I, the list covered, I think, the heart of, you know, wrestling like mainstays in the eighties. I, I really think that your voters did a really good job of letting us talk about the, the mainstays, you know, Flair, uh, Dusty, you know, I, I think Dusty should have been a little higher, but um, uh, Hogan. Um, if I have to say, and as much as I'm not a fan of them, I have to say the road warriors that have to be, have to be one of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because that. I know it's two guys, but as a tag team, they were um, some of the most over, guys in the wrestling business as a unit
1: yeah i love those
0: guys they are yeah and you know still you're a big fan of them to this day Mm -hmm. um they are uh they are like the the epitome of wrestling tag teams in in that era Mm -hmm. um so i think
1: which at at some point i would like to do a, a show on tag teams of the 80s of course it probably won't be as many to talk about but um i I think
0: that i think that that they they deserve to be up there like i said i think that as much as i'm not a fan of their in-ring work and personally meeting one of them and having having words with this person um, really
1: yeah um oh yeah you told me about this
0: yeah um i i i'm not saying that me and him got into like a verbal altercation or anything like that but Uh, he just didn't, he didn't sort of come off as a very nice human being. Um, but, uh, I think that they deserve as far as we're talking about eighties wrestling, they deserve to be up there. Um, and I wish they were on the list. Um, so we could have talked about them. So there's, there's one of mine. I don't know if I hope I didn't steal that from you.
1: No, you didn't. You didn't. Um, of course I, uh, um, uh, you know, they're again, one of my favorites. Um, just when they debuted in Georgia, um, you believe those guys really come out of the apocalypse. <laughs> you really believe they would beat you up. So that was, uh, that was good stuff. But, but the guy I would say that missed out on this list is one of my all, all time favorites is Ricky Steamboat. Um, just man, the guy again, like flair, uh, like Piper, uh, like Savage, like this guy did not ever have a bad match in my opinion. He's and also just, the only
0: wrestler in the history of wrestling to never be a heel.
1: Really? Huh? You know what? You're probably, was Sting ever a heel? Yeah, he was
0: in like the
1: NWO for... Yeah, but he wasn't a heel though. I think he was a heel in TNA too. Yeah, he was a heel for a little bit in TNA, you're right. But yeah, in the NWO, they were kind of a babyface faction when Sting was part of them. They were tweeners. Yes, yeah. It was more of a gray area between faces and heels during that era too, which is another thing that made it so good.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I someone, someone told me like in the right, like a, 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 worker in the wrestling business one time said that he didn't want, he, he's not in the business. He didn't live, he didn't last very long in the business because of this reason. Uh, he said he didn't want, he, he didn't want the fans to boo him. And I basically looked at him and said, I said, you cannot be Ricky Steamboat as a number for a couple of reasons. One, you can't work like Ricky Steamboat. And two, you can't you don't look like you can't you can't physically be like Ricky Ricky Steamboat. He was a, he looked like a million bucks. Wow. Was was Dusty ever a heel? Yeah, he joined the NWO for a very short period of time there. In the oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I remember now. Gotcha. Good job. And he was a
0: with Dick Murdoch.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the oh León. wow. Yeah, that's way, way back. But they Dick they Murdoch got back together years later time, as baby too. faces. I remember that. Oh uh, no,
0: I I love watching Dick Murdoch's work. Love it.
1: Yep, uh, I remember going to a match one time uh, in Columbus, and uh, I, I had a little American flag, and I handed it to him on his way to the ring, and he made the made the ring announcer hold it while he saluted it. Nice, good stuff. So yeah, so Ricky Steamboat be my next guy. How about you? Who's your next guy?
0: Well, to so, so piggyboat off of or piggy piggyboat piggyback off of what you said, Ricky Steamboat. I actually had an opportunity to do a training seminar with Ricky Steamboat. Really. Yes, uh, a couple years ago, and got to pick his brain a little bit, and uh, he taught me, he taught me some stuff that I and I had been in the business for probably 13, 14 years at that point, mm-hmm. and he 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 taught me something that day that I didn't realize I was doing, and it was it was cool to have that kind of coaching.
1: Nice. So, how was he as a person?
0: Phenomenal. One of the nicest so, guys ever. Phenomenal. Kind of the
1: guy you see in the rings, the guy that you met, huh? He, he's a baby face twenty-four-seven. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Who's your next guy?
0: Um, it's probably a guy a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because of him being such a journeyman in the business, uh, a lot like Piper, uh, I'm going to say Bruiser Brody. Oh, yeah. Love Bruiser. I think that uh, Bruiser... Get got a bad rap in the business, and mm-hmm. uh, his life ended very shortly and tragically. Yep. Um, but I think that if you watch some of his stuff, he was well, He is he's either the the greatest brawler of all time, um, or <laughs> I don't know who you could put up above him. Maybe Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had some phenomenal in ring work too, and his stuff in Japan. Oh my God. It, it is some of the greatest stuff of all time.
1: Nice. Yeah. I, um, I remember seeing him again. He, he as a journeyman was in Georgia for a while and, uh, just the, the guy was just weird. Just, you know, the interviews, the in-ring work, he was just weird. He had a little, like a little tick to him and, uh, yeah, him passing. I would love again, put him back in that hardcore heaven with cactus and, uh, Sandman and, and stuff like that. I I would love to see all those guys just go at it. That would be good stuff. So yeah, love Bruiser Brody. So my next guy, double A, Arn Anderson. You know, it's, he is one of the, one of the guys that I remember, um, you know, back from the Georgia days when he was very first coming up, uh, he was billed as Ole Anderson's nephew, I believe is what they called him. And, um, I remember him tag teaming with Matt Bourne back in those days and, uh, just something about him. He just, he just, the way he moved in the ring, uh, his, his, uh, he was great on the mic. Um, just Arn Anderson was just, uh, just a great worker. Loved the guy. Even to this day, um, I look back at some of his old matches and, and some of the stuff of the four horsemen and all of that. And his work with Tully and the brain busters and the four horsemen and all that. It was just, uh, he was, he was great. I would, I would put Tully up there too, but, but Arn was, Arn Arn was my guy.
0: Arn Anderson is the greatest professional wrestler never to win a world title. He is. I could not argue that. (laughs) I think that when the horsemen split and we had Arn and and feuding with Ric Flair, Mm -hmm. I think, Arn having the belt would have been because Flair was the baby face. I think Arn and Flair feuding over that belt would have been some phenomenal work, would have drew a lot of money. Um, I wish it would have happened. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Arn Anderson. I became an Anderson in professional wrestling, I tried to live up to that standard. I'm uh, not saying that I'm anywhere anywhere near the echelon of Ari Anderson, but, um, I tried to do it justice as I could. Um, but yes, I totally agree with you that we should have talked. we should have talked about the horsemen in general, um, mm-hmm. uh, factions as itself, the horsemen could be put up there because oh yeah, the horsemen was the first faction, uh, the first, uh, you know, uh, first stable, first stable, first that's the whole reason why it's called a stable is because of the horsemen
1: um were were they first because i know oliver humperdinck had a stable too Um, well they
0: weren't really there there weren't names to the stables There was just a group of guys there wasn't like a name so like they were the first like like, the first name because there was also stables in like florida with gary hart having like um was it was a it was a japanese wrestler and he it's when dusty turned and became a good guy i can't remember
1: is it kendo nagasaki
0: no, I'm not Kenan Nagasaki. It was somebody else. Uh, Pac Song. Okay, I think it was him. But it was, you know, I, I I can't talk again enough about Arn Anderson and the impact he had on me in wrestling, um, because I when I became decided to become an Anderson, I had to watch a lot of Arn Anderson footage and tapes and over and over and over again just to kind of pick up on mannerisms and things that he did and. Mm-hmm. How he sold, and how he always like Ric Flair. He tried to make guys look phenomenal in the ring,
1: and, and he did a great job of it. A lot of
0: giving with Larry oh. Anderson. A lot of giving.
1: Yep, I I totally agree. And uh, yeah, he's always gonna gonna hold a place in in my young wrestlers fan heart. <laughs> so yeah, I'll know
0: mine too. Trust me.
1: Yes. Mine. So okay, who's your next guy? Um.
0: It's hard. As I said, we covered the the creme de la creme of 80s wrestlers. It's very hard. Yeah, I've only got one guy left, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Let's see. I'm going through the Rolodex of wrestlers that I think should be on there. Just running through them here. Um, I want to say...
1: I want to say Rick rude. Oh yeah. Rick rude. Yeah. I thought about him when I put this, this honorable mention list together too. Yeah. um, I know Rick had a prior career and I actually, I have one
0: more too, but Rick, I know Rick had a prior career in wrestling in like uh, UWF um, mid South. Um, and he kind of was a journeyman too, mm-hmm. but he, you know, when I was first exposed to him, it was in, the WWF events and the character was super sleazy. Um, and apparently like, you know, rick that was the complete opposite of how Rick Rude was in real life. Really? Uh, yeah. Like your family man, you know, always in, you know, in the hotel room behaving himself, you know, not going out gallivanting and drinking and, you know, th- he wasn't like the slime ball that you saw portrayed on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but he always, for me, he was like a heat magnet like he could he could just get heat he didn't have to do much like he just get heat just walking out there and that big long robe and that music and then he would tell the the guy to cut his music and then he would say something like well, I need all of you Columbus sweat hogs to shut <laughs> yes. your mouths so you I can take my robe off so you can see what a real man looks like
1: <laughs> yes oh that's too funny yes I, mean, I remember him doing that that was good stuff
0: we always make we have it. Well, me and my friend Dante, my one of my tag partners in the wrestling business. We always have a joke about um, people's boots. Mm-hmm. And so if you ever watched Rick Rude and you saw his boots, he had boots that went up to like his kneecaps. Yeah, we always call them that. You can't be late to the show, boots, because it takes you like three hours to tie those boots.
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I, I remember Rude uh, again in Georgia. Like everybody went through there early, during that yeah. three or four year period. Um, he was, uh, yeah, it was very early in his career. Um, like I think he he didn't he start off with uh, with um, Hawk and Animal and Barry Darso as a bouncer. Is that is that?
0: I think so. Yeah, they, they, the, they all yeah. grew up. They all yeah, grew up yeah. in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, Nikita Koloff was one of those other ones. Like all those guys, like bounced. I think they all went. Were like the same age. Went to the same high school or something too. Yeah, it was
0: um, uh, well. No, him him, and Kurt Henning went to the same high school, um, in Bloomington, I think it's wh- where it was, or uh, Robbinsdale, excuse me. It's Robbinsdale, they yeah. both went to the same high school together, and then they all ended up at this bouncing at this like bar that was very popular in Minnesota at the time. So that's where like Barry Darso, Roadway, Your Animal, and Hawk, um, uh. Mr. Perfect. A lot of those guys came through that. Ken Botera, all those guys kind of came through that, that bar and was bouncers at one time and met wrestlers. And that's how they got in the business.
1: So here's something here. I'm looking at his uh, Wikipedia page right now. So he went to Robbinsdale high school mm-hmm. with Tom Zink, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff, Kurt Hannig, John Nord, and Barry Darso all from the same high school, same class. So that's that's uh, that is that is some good stuff. That's good stuff. So yeah, uh, Rick Rude, good guy. So um, uh, you did mention Kurt Hennig. I don't know how I I forgot. I, and I, that's why I was, was going to be with my yeah, other. It's one. like oh my gosh, yeah, Hennig. He was he was a he was awesome. Like again, he's one another one of those guys. Never get a bad match out of him. Um, I think he was the AWA champ for a while. Yes. Bockwinkle,
0: the bachwinkle
1: Hennig feud. <laughs> There's some yeah. good stuff. Yeah, and but he, he was never the WWF champ, which he should have been. Uh, Wasn't he Intercontinental Champion once or twice. twice? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he was, I, I think, uh, again, another guy that was lost too young. He do a whole show on on that, that stuff. I don't know a lot's been said, some mm-hmm. of those guys. Uh, Brian Pillman's another one that, man, one of my all-time favorites. Gone too soon. And we were just getting ready to start to see what he could do in his career too. So
0: Brian's Brian's kids wrestling now.
1: I saw that. I saw that. I've been, I haven't, I, saw like a glimpse of a match, but, but not much beyond that. So, um, so my last guy was Michael Hayes. Um, he, uh, I, just,
0: I just went the whole, I just went free birds and just started going down the list because that, that group has some of the, the, the best workers. I mean, Oh, yeah. We're talking about Terry Gordy. Terry Gordy, one of the best big men ever, ever laced him up.
1: Awesome. Yes, he was. He was awesome. I know and he he's – you got uh, – uh,
0: Oh, God. I Buddy like,
1: Roberts. Yeah, Buddy Roberts. Jim Garvin.
0: But no. Garvin was,
1: Garvin was one of the originals, but he probably – him and Hayes probably ran into some Freebirds I, I catch, I catch longer than anything. For,
0: I catch a lot of heat for saying that Jimmy Jam Garvin is one of my
1: favorite Freebirds, but I love Jimmy Jam Garvin. I do, too. Yeah, he's a free bird to me. I mean, because they they did it longer than the three original Freebirds stayed together. Right. Because I think they're probably doing it a decade or more.
0: <laughs> I have to correct you. It's Buddy Jack Roberts. It's not Buddy, Buddy Jack.
1: That's right. He went. Well, he went by Buddy Roberts when I first heard him, and they started calling him Buddy Jack later, and it was kind of weird to me. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, Michael Hayes. Like like I said, when I very first started wrestling, he was one of the guys that hooked me into watching every single week. Mm-hmm. Um when he when he turned him and uh when the Freebirds broke up and he was a baby face, like he had like he had about every partner under the sun. He Tommy Rich was his partner for a while. Otis Sistrunk from the Raiders was his partner. I remember they wrestled each other in Columbus or he him him and Sistrunk wrestled as a tag team in Columbus against Gordy and snuka It was supposed to be um Hayes and Kevin Von Erich. Von Eric got injured and uh, Sistrunk wasn't quite ready to go on TV yet and do all that, but he happened to be there. So they ran him out and did the thing. Everybody was like, what the heck? (laughs) What's, what's, what's he doing here? Uh, So it was, it was really cool. So, but uh, on the microphone, you know, he was a a good wrestler, but his charisma, uh, how he worked the microphone uh, his interviews, like when he, was uh he he would tell a story about you know my 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 little brother looked up at me and asked me why you know i'd beat up tommy rich and stuff like that and like he could just he just hooked you in and i i just really hated seeing him become doc hendrix later and and i don't know he's seems like he's kind of a mess these days Anyhow, no, he, back, he, back in he, the '80s, he was one of my guys.
0: Photos of him now—he he dresses like a pimp every day. He does. And what is that? What is that? I don't that? know. He's got a fanny pack and these bright colored suits on. And Michael, Michael Hayes. I I don't know. I mean, but you know, the Freebirds had one of the biggest feuds in wrestling history—the Freebirds and the Von So Yes, it is a phenomenal feud, and it, it's a—it's it, almost a. One of the realest feuds you could ever believe, like it's, it's almost like a blood feud. It's like that and Hath- oh, yeah. it, It's super believable um, for fa- quote unquote factions. You know, the Von Ericks are all brothers, and you know the Freebirds are you know just like brothers. Not, <laughs> yeah, they're like brothers. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, it's a super phenomenal. They had a they had a, a whipping match one time, and it, it's just brutal to watch. <laughs> <Just whipping. laughs> Especially when you know Kevin Kevin doesn't have any have any. He doesn't wear any anything but his trunks yeah no it's shoes Like uh, oh it's like oh my god he's like they're gonna beat him from pillar to post with. and trust me folks when i tell you that you can't fake whipping someone with a belt no you can't fake that
1: nope well it's just funny because like when speaking of kevin he used to wear boots like back when he was in georgia for you know six months or however long he was there before he got injured he was wearing boots and which is he, then the, he took them off later i guess when he came back from his injury this, well, I think uh, he had to. Yeah.
0: You, you know, we all know who the superstar in that family was and that was Carrie mm-hmm. and Kevin, you know, had to kind of stand out from, from him. And, uh, I can't remember the, the older, older brother of him, David, David, David was going to be the big star
1: Yeah, and
0: then it became Carrie after David's death. And then, you know, Kevin kind of fell off the, 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 radar there when everything, you know, went down. So he wasn't, he wasn't in the makings to be a big star, but there's so much tragedy in that family. It's,
1: Oh it's yeah. Ridiculous. We could have a whole podcast on the tragedy of the Von Erich family. Yeah. It's sad. Very sad. I, I, um, I, in my opinion, having watched those guys all wrestle, I thought Kevin was the best wrestler of the three. Um, Kerry was big, bulky, good wrestler, but I think, I think Kevin was the most talented. It's just, he, you know, I think he lacked a lot of, uh, uh, charisma, mic skills, things like that. Harder to push a guy that's just a good wrestler. So right, right, but, all right. Uh, that's my list, man. You got anybody else you want to add on our way out the door? Um,
0: I want to give a like an honorable mention, not to wrestlers, but mm-hmm. to a manager, mm-hmm. and that's going to be Bobby Heenan. Oh yeah, and. Most people that didn't grow up in 80s might know hean from WCW announcing. Mm-hmm. But Hian was, A, a phenomenal wrestler himself. When he was got he a good
1: here. wrestler? We, I yeah. remember he, he did wrestle. I don't remember being good.
0: He could bump a lot better than a lot of guys in the ring. He could fly over a top rope a
1: lot better. That's than true. Him. That's true. When he's a manager, he did some of that stuff still. Well, yeah. he had a
0: philosophy. He always said he would wrestle like a, wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler. So he always got beat up when he was when he was wrestling, and it was always comical. It was always fun, but he always took big bumps for everybody. Um, But all the stuff that I ever seen of Bobby wrestling, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But Bobby could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and I I, I only bring this up because I've read Heenan's book. He has two of them, but I only read one. Mm -hmm. He talks about uh, Blackjack Mulligan, which is. Father of uh, Barry Wyndham, right? You Wyndham, know, all those guys. The you know, and um, you know Bray Wyatt—that's his grandfather, great grandfather, mm-hmm. or grandfather, excuse me. Um, they were wrestling somewhere, some territory, and uh, a riot broke out because of Bobby B getting so much heat. Like they were coming over the rails at Bobby, and mm-hmm. Blackjack Mulligan was in front of them. And for those who don't know, Blackjack Mulligan played offensive line for the New York Jets as well. And uh, somehow the fans got past Mulligan and, and was basically trying to get, still trying to get a heen, and he got away and he got in the back. And when Mulligan came to the back, he said, you know what, Blackjack, you know, you should write an autobiography, and it should be called, I am the reason why Joe Namath's knees are terrible. Because <laughs> you can't block anything. That's funny. Uh, I want to say that, but no, I, I love Heenan on the mic. I love Heenan on commentary. I think Heenan is the greatest wrestling manager of all time. Um, it's him and Cornette neck and neck.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I think Bobby edges him out because I think Bobby had a better way of uh, when he got in the ring and wrestled is a little bit more comical than than uh, Jim Cornette.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I thought – yeah, I would say Heenan's the best. I would put Cornette up there, and i put Paulie Dangerously after that. Not Paul Heyman, but Paulie Dangerously. Paulie Dangerously. Because
0: because Paulie Dangerously is a psychopath when he gets the mic in.
1: Exactly. Love the guy. So, um, gosh, we we could go on and on forever, but I think we probably lost most of our crowd. That's okay. This is just for us anyway. Yeah, no, st- no, nah, stick with us folks, man. Stay with we us. We're going to talk about announcers now. Why Gordon Solie is the all-time greatest. But, you know, that's okay. Well, that might be a difference of opinion there. <laughs> that would be. I saw your uh survey you put on Facebook last week and I had to respond to it. I I'm always going to put Gordon. I don't care if somebody comes along better, I'm still putting Gordon. He's my guy. So, all right. So that's all the time we have, I think. Um so Devlin, I appreciate you stopping by for being part oh. of, of 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 the festivities. You've really uh, – man, the, again, when I first started off, I had a short list of topics I had to discuss, mm-hmm. uh, wrestling being one of them and, and you know, bringing you on here to talk about it was just was a ton of fun. So uh, thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you for having me on, sir. I appreciate your time. Like I said, I could talk wrestling – all day you want to talk about 80s movies i can talk about 80s movies all day But well, speaking
1: um, of which man i forgot to to plug I'll, I'll do this in post-production but uh guys make sure you you check out know your cinema it's a podcast uh that uh three guys put together it's pretty good sort of entertaining um hearing them talk about movies they will take one movie and take a whole hour and a half and talk about it so i listen to it especially on a, on a longer trip to bell fountain or someplace <laughs> all will put their podcast on and listen to it the whole way. So, uh, good stuff. So thank you for, for being here. And, uh, we will, next week we are going to be talking about, um, 80s love songs. So it's prom season or what would have been prom season, which brings our memories to, to love songs from the 80s. So we're talking about those, but good friend Kevin Ackley is going to be joining me for that. So make sure you, you, you tune in for that. And, and thank you again, Devin. I appreciate it.
0: No, thank you. I appreciate, it, sir. And uh, I added a song on your on your list of uh, '80s love songs. Because did I you?
1: What, uh, what song did was you put?
0: A, um, what What's that? The George Michael song?
1: Oh, "Careless Whisper." Yeah, you did. That's like number two in the in the voting right now, which is funny because I don't see that as a love song. I see that as more of a a breakup song. It's a damn. I mean,
0: it's it's appropriate for the prom. It's, I'm never gonna yeah. dance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it was good. It's a good song. I like the song. I just never think of that as like, you know, oh, they're playing our song. But anyway. All right, buddy. Thanks and you guys all take care. Stay safe, stay clean. We'll talk to you later.
0: Until next week, Gordon Soley saying so long.